0: Welcome to School of Movies. (laughs) Captain America Civil War. This job.
1: We try to save as many people as we can. Sometimes that doesn't mean everybody.
0: But you don't give up.
2: New York. Washington, D.C. Sokovia. Okay, that's enough. Captain, people are
1: afraid. That's why I'm here. We need to be put in check. Whatever form that takes, I'm game. I'm sorry, Tony.
0: If I see a situation pointed south, I can't ignore it. Sometimes I wish I could. Sometimes I want to punch you in your perfect teeth. I know we're not perfect. But the safest hands are still our own. this all day
1: all right i've run out of patience
2: underoos hey everyone
0: hello and welcome back to the lucky 13th marvel movie review as always i'm alex shaw and as always, I'm joined by my wife and co-host, Sharon Shaw. Good evening. And with us this time are Jerome McIntosh of Game Burst Good day, sir. And Joshua Garrity of Cane and Rince. Hello. 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 Welcome back, guys. Okay. Bit of an essay first, then we'll get into the meat of the film. One of the major issues with Batman v Superman, by the way, who was betting that I was going to start off by mentioning? <laughs> was. <It's> a- <laughs> carry on. It's impossible not to compare the two. I don't blame you. It don't is worry. unfair not to compare the two. So, one of the major issues with Batman v Superman was that it had to be so many things. It had to introduce a new Bat, continue Superman's story, unite the two on screen for the first time, introduce the first ever Wonder Woman, lay down the DC Cinematic Universe for real this time, and somehow be different enough to the Avengers to invite positive comparison. Now, we've documented its spectacular failure to do nearly all of these things already. It's as stale a point to make as Grandma's peach tea. So for that, I apologise. Captain America Civil War had to be a suitable follow-up to The Winter Soldier, largely considered to be the best of the MCU movies to date. The introduction of Iron Man had to present an on-screen versus pairing that rivaled Batman and Superman. It had to adapt Civil War, a comic book crossover event comprising dozens of issues that lasted half a year at Marvel, back in like 2005-ish, the original story involving dozens of superheroes and mutants rather than the one dozen we have on display here maybe it's a baker's dozen. Uh, This film had to sustain the key tenets of that story without completely buggering the Marvel Universe backwards and forwards and leaving us hating major characters for their behavior. It had to introduce the first ever Black Panther and give us faith in this new headline star, the brand new Spider-Man, third incarnation in 14 years, and after three poorly received Spidey movies, they had to convince us that finally he's in good hands. And by virtue of the enormous cast, we would automatically be hoping for an ensemble piece that was tighter than the largely disappointing Avengers Age of Ultron. The real versus match this year was DC v. Marvel, and somehow Marvel came out smelling of roses and DC smelling of shit. Now, before fans of Beavis Dodge turn off their iPods, I reiterate how much I wanted that movie to be this great. Hand on my heart, I have never been so engaged with a movie, never been so gripped and on the edge of my seat. Eight years and 12 movies stacked on top of a lifetime of Marvel Comics, character motivations that were not only led up to over multiple movies, but clearly defined in a nigh-on impossible juggling act that somehow the Russo brothers managed to make seem effortless within this movie. This film, this film exudes confidence without resorting to swagger. It is directed as though the derision of comic book heroes by the press more concerned with real movies, quote-unquote, simply doesn't exist. Everyone on screen has a stake in the central conflict. Nobody wants to hurt their friends or the admired heroes they've never met, aside from T'Challa and later Tony, both of whom rationally seek to execute bitter vendettas. There are three different ways to handle the action in a film like this. Tense, joyful, or tragic. The mastery of this and no other superhero film to this degree, even The Winter Soldier, is that they manage all three at different times with maximum effect at each peak. Winter Soldier was tense and tragic, but it was never really joyful. Now, I want to talk about a trope we've hinted at in these words recently, but never gone into the core concept. Not in any detail, and I want to talk about this with you guys later. Uh, It really first hit me while playing, of all things, the Ubisoft game Watch Dogs. It's the trope of My Dead Family, specifically delivered in that gravelly voice.
1: My Dead Family!
0: In my eyes, My Dead Family is a narrative shorthand used to explain why a hero, or more frequently an anti-hero, is not only motivated but somehow justified in taking out his internalised rage upon the wrongdoers we are presented with even if they didn't kill his family directly. If his family was killed, then it's entirely understandable that he performs atrocities. Mad Max, Green Lantern, Kaiser Soze, Maximus Decimus Meridius, Wolverine, Punisher, multiple Game of Thrones characters, and of course, Batman. Don't get me wrong, done right with a careful hand and fresh perspective, this can be executed extremely well. Case in point, Steve Rogers and Tony Stark. Steve's father died in the First World War when Steve was extremely young. His mother died serving on a TB ward, and he carried their selfless example with him his whole life, trying to live up to their nobility. So he wasn't trying to avenge them, he was trying to emulate them. Conversely, Tony carried his paternal conflict with him his whole life. At the end of this film, he's reduced to a teenage boy as the true horror of their murder hits him like a freight train. Had this been his primary motivation throughout the film, any sense of altruism in his decisions would have been questionable. It would have been far too personal. Instead, this 11th hour reveal suddenly reverses our sympathies as we see the fragile boy, doubly heartbroken by Steve, his teammate and chief rival, knowing already. This creates a powerful final fight that, like the recent Planet of the Apes films, far from welcoming, we find we have in fact been dreading the polar opposite of the horrendously mismanaged tone of the Batman v Superman grimy punch-up-in-a-toilet. The Russos and Marvel knew that at that exact point, we, at the viewer, are pleading with the heroes to stop before somebody dies and leaves the survivor a hero-murderer. This film, when viewed from above, is a triple whammy of a cerebral critique on the superhero movie, an almighty royal rumble of colourful characters, both established and new, and a tragedy of epic proportions somehow leaving you still smiling with hope for the future. On second viewing, its strengths are even clearer. This is, to me, the best superhero movie yet made, closely followed by several others in this series. It is going to take something pretty special to top the level of total investment that it instilled in me. First off, anything I missed out about my dead family?
3: No, you covered what I was going to say.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's. I mean, I, I do want to carry on with this just while we're while we're sort of here. It is something that's really been like noticeably popping up recently. Just like you know that that list that I reeled off, like they, the, the whole like anti-hero, man on fire type thing has been around for a while, but recently there's been a lot of dark TV which specifically seems to legitimize terrible behavior in anti-hero characters. Um, I'm not necessarily asking everyone to agree with me here, but it is something that I'm getting extremely tired of. Um, It's not something I'm not going to use in my own writing in some capacity to tell a story that I'm hoping is this done right. But at the same time, it is something that, when done sloppily, when just chucked at you and, and saying, "Look, this happened, so it's okay." I mean, in Watchdogs, it's like it does that thing where you know, like a, a little girl gets killed, and we see the doll or the bear or something, and then he's at the graveside going, Urgh, "Now I'm," go-. he's he's out to get revenge on someone, anyone, everyone.
1: I feel because, like, if a family member dies, like you experience grief and regret, and mm. I think that. They try to emulate that emotion in you whenever you see... Whenever some... Like, when your family, when the character family dies. The problem is, too, too much... They don't, like, get you invested in their family. Like, yeah. you, you don't understand the relationship they had. Oh, it's just their family's gone. And I feel the weaker examples are when they don't build up, like, the lead-up to the death or give some context... I think, I think they just feel that you'll automatically feel for them because that is something you can empathize with.
0: I can think of one TV show that we mentioned before, Josh, which uh, you know exactly which one I'm talking about, Bathtub, uh, that just had, if you can get to that episode, there is all kinds of build up to that that just wrecked me. And I was like, right, I can't carry on watching this show anymore. Give it one more season and then check it out. Thank
4: for me, the the thing that I find frustrating about, the not the trope itself, but how it's explored, um, or more specifically how it's not explored, is that it is frequently, as you say, set up as justification for why the hero does the amazing, cool, badass things, mm-hmm. um, but it's not...
0: Oh, God of War, sorry. God of War. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs>
4: It is it is very very rare that there is an actual exploration of actual grief um, yeah. involved in this this particular setup. It's usually a case of um, reinforcing the idea that if you're a man, uh, and I mean like man with a capital M, big tough guy, big guns, etc., yeah. yeah. um, the only emotion you're allowed to express is anger. There's no finesse. There's no subtlety. Everything that they're feeling gets channeled into rage and revenge and by the end it, you've got two choices either they've killed everybody in their path and it hasn't helped they're still furious or they've killed everybody in their path boffed a heroin and all of a sudden everything's fine again and it, it, there just isn't it's a massive thing to yeah. lose your to lose a person is huge to lose your whole family, which is often the way these things are set up, um, you know, wife and child, mother and father, etc., is so massive that, you know, the human capacity is stretched almost to its limit to deal yeah. with something like that. And, and how often do we see an actual look at that particularly in video games where this trope crops up over and over and over again as lazy storytelling for somebody who can't come up with a better plot
3: and 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 also it's just we're expected to just accept what the protagonist or whoever the character is in the story just accept that yeah that's okay uh because their family has died now it is acceptable for everyone who dies to die Whereas Civil War, which I'm sure we'll get onto, um, makes a point of being like, yeah, you know, this person's family died and they're trying to seek revenge and what have you. That doesn't make it OK. Like it, it makes a point of saying that um, yeah. not like outright, but the theme of the, the movie is very much like revenge is poisonous. This is toxic. It's not a good thing mm. that these characters are. Um, kind of surrendering to this urge to seek out um, vengeance
0: there's multiple characters as well if you think about it in their comic backgrounds Peter Parker's parents dead my dead family not so much from that kid Um, Scarlet Witch parents died that was her motivation in uh, Age of Ultron and she found a new calling thanks to Hawkeye I mean obviously uh, uh, Zemo the the, uh, the, the the central uh, antagonist Marvel are often uh, criticized for uh, creating villains that basically start out quite uh, impressive and uh, have you know have a you know, usually a pretty good look to them and um, then descend into just a big thing for the hero to hit and usually a shadowy reflection of the hero by the end uh, th- this guy I was very impressed was not it was not about him being in part of a punching contest i was i was thinking when it's rounding up to that bunker at the end a lesser movie would have had stark and uh, cap and bucky resolving their differences by fighting off a dozen winter soldiers and then sort of like high-fiving at the end and going well we got through that one i guess we're going to be buddies again this is not a lesser movie. In fact, it pulls that switcheroo with you. It takes you deliberately to a place where you're expecting the generic ending, and then it delivers you, delivers something which just leaves you
1: harrowed. Yeah. Zemo is the, he's the perfect example of the type of villain the Avengers would face off against. It's not the... Sure, you expect the huge, like, powerhouse will be able to hold his own against the whole team, but the real... The real threats are the types that don't want to engage personally, but manipulate them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to draw back attention to Batman v Superman, but that was that's the sort of villain that Luthor is supposed to be like. Mm. We got that in this movie.
3: Yeah, I, I have to say, I the more I think about this movie and the more it kind of stews in my mind, the more impressed I am with Zemo. Mm. Yes, um, before. Uh, watching the movie I expressed fears on social media that god I really hope the movie just focuses on this conflict and there isn't like Mm. a third kind of party that they you know resolve their differences
0: and fight I mean doomsday
3: yeah yeah, basically (laughs) a cave troll suddenly
0: appears out of fucking nowhere because science
3: and when Zemo was introduced in the early stages and um and Bucky was starting to talk about these uh Winter Soldier 2.0's that were out on in this facility. I was like, oh great, right, okay. This is the uh third party that's gonna unite everyone and we're gonna have a happy ending.
0: This and, that would be the ending of Iron Man 2.
3: Yeah, and it and it didn't happen. And Zemo's motivations and um his his whole process throughout this movie feels so much deeper Mm. um the more you think about it he's such i he's not as you know immediately iconic as like um loki or even um the purple man in jessica jones those two villains kind of when they walk on screen you're like ah yes uh that's a villain that i can get on board with
0: or even Robert redford in uh with a soldier he's got yeah uh... Where
3: whereas whereas Zemo kind of tricked me, I I, he I was kind of thinking this is going to be a two dimensional kind of mustache twirling villain, and then he became so much more than that um, by the third act. Uh, Really impressed with both the performance and the writing of this character. Well done Mm to Daniel Bruhl
1: for that as well. Yeah, yeah, they they really put you into the same position that um, Captain like Steve Rogers is in. Like you, he's expecting just a twiddle his mustache villain like i did all this just to get more power so when you and him are confronted with the real objective it is like a blow to the stomach and as an audience when you can say damn that they got me like they legitimately got me i did not see that coming
3: yeah and he win and he win that's the yeah. thing about this movie is the antagonist wins like yes. the, the protagonist didn't you know come out on top here Um, His objective to tear down the empire that the Mm. Avengers created, he succeeded. And um, even though they don't, you know, go through with it, like the scene um, with the Black Panther where he's essentially getting ready to commit suicide. Mm. um, I think that's an important scene because it needs you need to demonstrate that this is all this guy was holding on to. (laughs) Like just this one act and then he's going to check out. You need to know that there was there wasn't anything more to this than just this need to um, get back at this group of people who just, you know, roll up to every fight, you know, thinking they're the heroes. And actually they're leaving a, a lot of, you know, corpses in their wake without even realizing
4: Mm. that's one of the reasons actually why i was really pleased that he was not successful in killing himself that they they yeah. made it clear that that was to be prevented that it's not a clean tie a bow in it bad guy does bad things and then he's left to fall on his own sword um, yeah. while the heroes all kind of turn their back on him and go well he was a bad one so yeah um but um I, I do think that, yes, there's a lot of criticism to be levelled at Marvel's early movies, particularly in terms of their villains. But I think they are really starting to, uh, to present some fantastic antagonists now. And I think that's, it's two things. One, they are willing to devote time to the antagonists' motivations, which, if you look at the early ones, because they're so focused on, on seeding and, and uh, cementing the heroes, the antagonist and why they're doing what they're doing tends to get sidelined. Um, and secondly is the confidence to be able to present a multi-layered villain, inverted commas, and believe that the audience will accept them for what you're trying to present them as, rather than going, well... This is unbelievable. I don't think he'd actually do this. Ultron was one of my favourite villains ever. And and looking back over the last few um, Marvel presentations, I honestly think they've they've been getting steadily better. You've got Loki, Ultron, uh, Pierce uh, from The Winter Soldier. The
0: Winter Soldier himself.
4: Yeah, Winter Soldier and uh, and The Purple Man as well. Mm -hmm. I I really do think there is a definite... Curve of improvement, and I think it's it's being able to take the time to present them properly.
0: A lot of people would say kingpin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: Um, There's uh, the the uh, I paid attention to it when he keeps listening back to his wife's last phone message to him. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of Kylo Ren at the end of uh, Star Wars, hitting himself in the wound to. I mean, in, in in Kylo's case, that was because he is he functions on pain. He needed a pain and anger boost uh, to keep the dark side flowing and to 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 hold himself together at that point. Um, but so ultimately, Zemo is just like constantly remotivating himself by reminding himself, "This is why I'm doing this." But also, there's such a sadness in in, in what he's doing. He's just reliving that last one moment when everything was going to be okay. He's
1: completely anchored himself in that moment Yeah, and everything about him is that moment that's why he is he's expecting to leave this world once it's done because he's just as far as he's concerned he's hollow after this
4: yeah but the, uh, the that's the contrast to what I was saying about the idea that usually with this theme grief is not really explored or looked at but mm. it is here it's, it is quite subtle and it's quick but In a way, it's like you can completely understand why he keeps listening back to this message. It's her voice, it's the last time he was ever gonna hear her. Mm. It's now the last thing he has to cling to of her. Mm. But every time he listens to it, it reinvigorates that anger and that rage. And as long as he's listening to it, he's never gonna get past that.
0: Civil War. I, I've uh, only read, parts read bits,
4: of it. and I've listened to the audio. Um,
0: it's dropped. been a while. <laughs> it has been a while. I do recommend that audio drone by the way. It's it's, uh, it's really good. Um, the uh, the core seven issue arc written by Mark Miller is actually pretty solid as a story. It's uh, it, there's a lot of better issues scattered around the place. The Luke Cage episode of uh, um, New Avengers. I'm hoping they replicate this at some point in the Luke Cage uh, show. Is um, it's when uh, the uh, the order's been signed and at midnight they come for Luke because he's not going to sign the order. Um, There's also a really good one with uh, Spider-Man and Cap, where, famously, Spider-Man went with Team Stark and feels really bad about having to go up against Cap, and that's where Cap delivers the no-you-move, you You know, draw a line, um, which uh, Agent Carter gives to him in this. But the actual core tenets of the story are all, like, the the really important ones, apart from Peter Parker revealing his true identity to the world and that being a huge impact. Because secret identities aren't really a big thing in the non-street-level Marvel characters. The, the Avengers are pretty much who they are 24-7. I think that was sort of a tone set with uh, Iron Man. Basically, at the end of that, it was like, let's just not mess around with the whole secret identity thing. So when Spider-Man comes along, this will be the first one where they really are going to make a big deal out of this. The whole can't let Aunt May know. But apart from that, I mean, the whole – the original – the kid who died and uh, that the, mo- the grieving mother blamed it directly on Tony Stark. It's a much more overblown, melodramatic scene in the uh, – uh, uh, the book it's uh, a young kid she throws a Tony Stark act- an Iron Man action figure at Tony and his name is Damien which is a, a, a poor choice on Mark Miller's part because you can't not think of the son of the devil at that point um, but they changed it around to deliberately evoke uh, in Tony a familiarity with young MIT students trying their absolute best to you know, do something for the world rather than just being selfish it's this kid's uh, being better than Tony that Tony's grieving and lamenting when he decides that that she's right, something has to be done about this. I was really impressed how they managed to get all the best bits, and somehow at the end of it, unlike in the book, Tony Stark doesn't come away a dick. That whole, you know, the Winter Soldier killed my parents isn't even in there. It's in in the book. I mean, it might actually have happened in the comic, but um, uh, that the the fact that... um, they, the very well-handled middle section when they all clash, that could... I mean, basically, when the heroes clash, it could just have become visual noise like a Transformers movie. Or it could have become, stop, just stop fighting, like the end. But because it's joyful, it will make for really great rewatching over and over again. But almost all the fights in, in Civil War in, in the book, you're like, just stop fighting, for God's sake and the actual conclusion that steve reaches at the end is that the the, the final knockdown drag out brawl which takes you know spills out into the new york street he sees that people have been hurt and he just, uh, he drops his shield and just surrenders because he you know whether he believes in what he's fighting for individual liberties or not there's been collateral damage and it's unacceptable to him he gives up because he wants to be ethically on the money no matter what and if that means giving up then so be it to him. And it ends on a really sort of dour moment. And then shortly afterwards in the comics, Steve is um, murdered, effectively, by Sharon Carter. And I think that you find out later that Sharon Carter used a special gun which sent his soul into another dimension. Well, like, oh, brilliant. Because comics are weird. And
4: then he basically becomes yeah. Sam Beckett.
0: But when we um, when we watched it that first time, there were these jabbering kids behind us. And they were going. Oh, I thought Tony, I thought um, Captain America was going to die. He's supposed to die. In the lead up to this, just like I've been on tenterhooks for the past few months, like nearly a year now, worried about what's going to happen. Like I've been just like because I've got so much invested in this series. I was like, are they going to kill Steve? Are they going to kill Tony? Are they going to kill someone else? Because in the the comic, Goliath dies. So when uh, uh, Rhodey got knocked out of the sky, it was a real heart in mouth moment. Sharon, can you just uh, deliver the whole the, the thing you said about um, the possibilities and the consequences being, being the weight rather than the death? Because that finishes off what I was just saying there.
4: Yeah, it, it, for me, it was all of the tension and all of the concern was not about gearing up to somebody dying. It was about what could happen in each and every moment. And part of that was knowing... Uh, The storyline from uh, the comics because I was sat there thinking in the comics this happens I really 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 hope that doesn't happen and then there would be these little hints that it might be going in that direction Um, example the uh, the death of Goliath the the way that's set up there's this big thing about the fact that he he dies while he's in big form and then they have to bury him they have to dig an enormous grave to be able to bury him. And so when Ant-Man goes big for the first time ever, we've not seen him do this before, my heart immediately leapt into my mouth and I thought, oh my God, are they going to do that with Scott? Um, the, uh, the fact that you have uh, Sharon present in the film, I thought it was pretty unlikely that she'd end up killing Steve by the end but there was always that faint possibility in the back of my mind that that could happen. And, um, and as you say, the, uh, the, the final battle, the fight between them, the way it's played out, it's not about which of them is going to die out of this. And that was what annoyed me about what the, the kids were saying behind us, that basically what they seemed to want was some kind of um, climactic death to enable all of this build-up to be burned off in the, the rush of, ah, okay, that's it, and somebody's dead, and that's it, end. But by virtue of the fact that that didn't happen, A, it feels more real, and B, you've actually got so much more potential, because once, you've, once somebody's dead, that's it, it's done. You can't take that back, you can't resort. I mean, I know it's Marvel, so technically speaking, yes they can, but there is no further resolution to be had. If, however, there is this incredible, gut-wrenching fight between them where at any moment one could kill the other and then they both come out of it alive, each of them has to carry with them the fact that they could have killed this person that was their friend. The, the really most intense moment for me in that sequence was um, when Steve slams the shield down it's the look on his face. It's not the fact that that Tony's dead because he's not, but it's the look on Steve's face when he realises what he could have just done.
3: And the fact that Tony thought he was going to do it. Because yeah. he co- he covers his face like, oh my God, he's actually going to... Decapitate me with his shield.
4: Yeah, and, and you he get, doesn't do that. But, yeah. yeah, you get that expression on um, on uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s face a couple of times. Actually, um, the moment when he goes up against Bucky and he's got the the Iron Man gauntlet on, but that's it, and um, um, he basically grabs Bucky's gun. And Bucky pulls the trigger, and if it wasn't for the gauntlet, he'd be dead. And you just see this kind of flash across his face of of that. He was not expecting that. That was not something that he thought would happen. Yeah. And it kind of felt like um, this is real. You're not hiding behind your superhero uh, untouchable armour anymore.
3: Yeah. And, And the thing is, because the people who are fighting in this film are essentially friends and family there is a cost to all the all of this fighting whether it may not be the death of a character we love or what have you but there's a, an emotional price that's being paid mm-hmm. uh, in every moment of this film like uh, tony you know it ends with a glimmer of hope this film with you know steve and tony's relationship with um the message that steve leaves behind but you know that friendship is broken essentially like there's a chance that it could reform and and be stronger than ever but it is shattered and Mm rody you know walks away with the you know walks away from this conflict paralyzed from the waist down and that you know in some ways that's messier than him simply dying like Mm -hmm. that's you know it's not a character who just checks out like that's a character who now has to deal with a whole you know a whole different kind of struggle um that there is you know consequence in this film more so than any of the
0: other marvel films so far
4: I, in the Battle Royale, um, they have that wonderful tone shift. Uh,
0: Royal Rumble, please. Battle Royale is a film where Japanese schoolchildren kill each other on an island.
4: Okay. In the Royal Rumble scene, um, where they have that wonderful tone shift in the middle, so at the beginning it's kind of, it's it's quick-witted and sharp and funny, and uh, they've very deliberately kind of paired everybody up with a significant opponent for them um, and then vision turns up and it suddenly becomes very serious but that that beginning part when uh, hawkeye went up against widow i felt myself tear up i the, the thing that flashed into my head was oh my god do not make these two fight each other again again <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but like meaning it this time yeah. although there was a, a slight change there as well when uh, Wanda pointed out that he was pulling his punches. Yeah,
0: The first of many blows to hit me right in the heart was uh, Peggy's death. From that first text, I was on the floor at that point, um, extremely well handled and it, it felt like, um, this being the third of the trilogy, it felt like it was completing a trilogy in terms of, uh, of you know that journey.
3: And the thing I found so disarming about that scene was how kind of authentic to life that felt, just him getting that text and just having to, I've got to get out of the room, guys, and just um, finding somewhere quiet to grieve. Like, that felt it's so restrained. like in other movies there'd be like oh slow motion dropping of the phone oh no peggy's death. whereas here it's it's played so um subtly and naturally that it, it it's more impactful mm. if anything um and the funeral is handled really well um and, and the thing is death it peggy's death is tragic but i think on the back you know in the back of everyone's mind like we i kind of we kind of all knew this was coming yeah. like she's not she's not you know at the prime of her life like she's she's well into her 90s at this point and she's lived a full life and yeah. and you can't like when people live to a certain age like you can't be I, i'm struggling to i'm trying to think of a way to say this without sounding like a monster but like it's not it's not sad when someone who's 100 years old dies it's it it is sad but it's not tragic that's what i'm trying to say yeah it's it's part of life it's just something that's going to happen and it's ho- it is sad when it happens but it's not this you know it's not horrible it's just part, a part of you know being a human being and
0: yeah but i thought complicating I thought it was... that though is the fact that to her to steve she's still not quite 30
3: yeah, exactly, and that's why it—that's why more than anyone else, like it, it hits like a freight train for him because, he, for her, it you know a full ninety years has passed, but for him, it's you know, it's only been like, what? How, how long has he been out of the ice at this
0: point? Like uh, five years, maybe? Good question: They actually made a mistake in the film. Um, Vision said, uh, in the past eight years since Tony Stark came out as Iron Man. Uh, it's been eight years since Iron Man came out in cinemas. However, on the official Marvel timeline, Iron Man actually happened in 2010 because uh, then a year passes and it's Iron Man. I think it's like six months and it's Iron Man 2 and then it's a, a year and then the Avengers. So basically it takes still takes place around about 2012. That way they update it so that every time we experience an MCU film, it's taking place now. So when yeah. Ant-Man came out, it was taking place last late last summer. Before that, it was uh, Age of Ultron run right about then, which is a really great way of sort of keeping up with the the actual stuff as it's going. Uh, so they'd either have to explain that away as oh actually yeah, Age, uh, Civil War takes place in 2018, or change the timeline again. Probably best to just change the timeline again. <laughs> Vision just had a glitch. Yes, fine. It's a glitch. <laughs> <laughs> Some phase through. Okay, so um, let's have a. On that note, a lesson, as Bob Chipman called it, uh, in his brilliant and succinct uh, YouTube review, a lesson in superhero civics. So I'm going to ask the group now a hypothetical question. We are the jury assembled to examine the Avengers' culpability in the disasters they are blamed for that instigate the Sokovia Accords. How responsible are they really? Let's start with New York, and anyone can dive in here. How responsible were the Avengers for New York?
3: Um, Not at all. Yep. Uh, (laughs) Loki is 100% responsible, and if anything, the Avengers prevented further casualties. Yeah. Uh, Loki's a
0: crazed alien from another realm who knew all about Earth anyway, targeted us specifically, and uh, it's not like he had that many realms to choose from. And there's frost giants on one of them, and angry trolls on another one of them. (laughs) Uh, he
1: went for the soft target, as far as he was concerned. It Add to could... the, f- sorry, don't share. No, no, no. You go. Add to the fact that um, you're essentially just a small blip on a huge alien race's conquering path. I, I don't really think you could say, yeah, they caused that because yeah. they had interdi- in like they had space travel, yeah. like warp travel.
0: And it was going to happen at some point eventually anyway. Uh, You know, basically Earth has been on the map and they've been thinking about um, invading for a while, the Chitauri, and I'm sure the Kree Empire have been wanting to make us part of uh, their empire. Which, by the way, you, you meet those blue guys in Guardians of the Galaxy. If you imagine that that basically makes the Earth New Zealand and the rest of the world is the Kree Empire. That's how small we are relative to the Kree. And even the scrolls of the Chitauri are what China at best. Yeah, you gotta remember,
1: like to Earth is just to these alien races just like a foothold to them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> On a cosmic scale, the Sokovia Accords don't really make sense. But uh, uh, this is not me uh, um, uh, criticising the actual writing of the film. When the government uh, representatives who put this together, for the uh, it's, it's for the UN, isn't it? Um, it actually does sort of make sense to them. As far as they're concerned, Thor came to Earth, then Loki invaded. Was that what you were
4: going to say, Sharon? Well, I was going to say, yes, it, it, you could, if you're being particularly... Um, finicky, blame it on Thor. Mm. But that conflict existed well before Thor came to Earth. It certainly existed long before Thor was in the Avengers. Um, In actual fact, I think, and and just this is kind of jumping forward a little bit because I would like to go through the rest of them, Mm. Um, but the other New York Incident um, that uh, has possibly contributed to Ross making these arrangements, he Harlem. was directly responsible for. Yeah.
0: yeah. He sent a new super soldier in there who then got completely then, screwed up and went exactly, mental. Exactly,
4: broke Harlem. but and, and, and a lot of this does smack of him basically trying to cover his own tracks.
0: Mm. Um, and the Avengers spent a good proportion of uh, the original movie um, during the action sequence. They, they were fending off... Uh, Chitauri all over the place but they were also clearing the streets getting people to safety that's been one of their primary uh, watchwords throughout the, uh, the MCU unlike and I would mentioned it in Age of Ultron anybody? What's a particularly uh, casualty filled superhero film of late?
1: Oh, um, uh, uh, Man of Steel? Are yeah, well, you oh, sure? Oh, I'm not quite sure about we that. We said back on the Age
0: of Ultron thing that they would probably hold Superman to account for that. They do for about 10 seconds. And then it's all mm. about these terrorists or people who may have died in some other hot country. Anyway, um, so yeah, basically, were it not for the Avengers, the government would have nuked New York. Mm. A lot more people would have died Anyway. And, in fact, the Avengers prevented alien attacks. So we'll just scratch that one off the list, shall we? You know, just, you know we're, we're not currently subjugated by an alien race. So yeah. scratch that one off. Okay, second one that they cited was Washington. Government threw together three brand new helicarriers um, because they had been infiltrated by Hydra whose plan it was to basically wipe out anybody who might cause them any problems. HYDRA were around way before the Avengers. They were around in World War II, before Captain America was even
1: Captain America. Let, let's just call it what it is. Nazis, you know? Nazis! Super-Nazis <laughs> super took over Nazis. your super-secret spy agency, Yeah. and you blame the organization that came a long time after that. And they also the infiltrated they, they the government it itself!
0: Yeah. yeah.
3: And, like, I'm, you know, I'm sure a few people did die when the helicarriers crashed. Mm, yeah. But those helicarriers were about to kill 20 million people. <laughs> um, you know, do the
1: maths there. It's... And most most of them crashed over water, luckily.
3: Mm, yeah. Imagine I, if I, they actually... I cannot imagine the casualty count. Um, apart from uh, people who are members of Hydra. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine the casualty count was that high.
1: Yeah, really. Imagine how if they actually got to their full height yeah. and yeah. fell from there. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and, and basically, yeah, Cap and his uh, group of mostly pretty just standard humans yeah. uh, were just working their asses off to prevent absolute disaster. And uh, while big ships falling from the sky looks like absolute disaster, it was a small explosion relative to a big explosion. So yeah, should we scratch Washington off there? Just they're not not responsible for that. In fact, they they prevented absolute disaster. Okay, so we'll scratch that one off then. Sokovia.
3: Now Mm. this is the one where it gets. I think it does get a bit more complicated. Mm. Yeah. Because Ultron is technically their fault. Um, Yeah. You know, Tony Stark and uh, Bruce Banner created him, Mm -hmm. and then he went on to kill God knows how many people. So, and I do think they bear some responsibility
0: for uh, Sokovia. However, why Sokovia? Why did Ultron choose Sokovia?
5: Hmm.
0: Because he decided to go to Sokovia to actually set up that thing.
1: Wasn't it because of the twins? Yes. Hammering home the same point of... um, like going back to the place where they cause casualties and just hammering that point down.
0: Yeah, the twins were there uh, at the Hydra base, which Hydra chose the location of, and uh, they the twins were casualties of a war that was happening probably before Hydra was there as well, and their parents were killed by
1: the chitari No,
0: no, Stark. No, Stark. Tech. Oh, Tony yes. Stark's weapons mm. before he was Iron Man before he basically took responsibility into his own hands. And that was at the behest of the American government. He didn't fire them in there personally. That was the American government who basically killed the twins' parents. The twins were there to be used as weapons by Ultron. Ultron decided on that particular area. Ultron decided to destroy that particular place. The Avengers moved in and spent hours trying to free civilians, trying to free absolutely everybody that they possibly could. All of this footage makes it look like they're tearing up the place, smashing things. You have a
1: brilliant editor, let's yeah. just
0: say that. The, the, the woman says to Tony Stark, you murdered my son. No, oh. <laughs> your son was one of the many, many people the Avengers were trying to rescue and save. The S.H.I.E.L.D. The Shield helicarrier came up and it was like, oh my God, it's going to blow the crap out of the place. No, it's sending out lifeboats. It's trying to get people to safety. That whole fight is actually just trying to fend the robots off for just a few extra minutes so that they can get more people's lives saved.
1: They are the peacekeepers, and they are trying to do basically the UN's job. And on some level, you, you can sort of blame Scarlet Witch for influencing Tony with that mass paranoia shot to the head.
0: Yes. But that was influenced uh, inadvertently by the US government using Stark tech weapons. Basically, yeah. So we're, we're, they're being asked to sign an accord with the UN because the US government are super aggressive.
1: I know this is a really weird nitpick, but um, why does Stark put his name on the ammunition and not just the gun? He's, he's arrogant. Have
3: you, have you, have you watched
0: uh, an Iron Man film? <laughs> like, yeah. He signs yeah. them all. I, I know off. the answer, but. It's because yeah. he cares. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but, so we're scratching all three of them, are we? In which case, the Avengers are not culpable for any of what they're being accused of. And everybody who joins in and says, yes, you're absolutely right, we do need to be reined in, um, I think they're kind of swept up in the guilt of not being able to save enough people.
4: I think there's another underlying reason for this actually and it it doesn't get discussed, but I think if this had been put on the table, people could have agreed that this was a viable reason. And that's that the Avengers do not set the example needed for the ordinary people that would be joining the, you know, Doctors Without Borders and the Mm -hmm. UN peacekeeping forces and all that kind of thing. Those Ordinary people need the organisations to be able to do good in the world because them on their own, there's not an awful lot that they can do. And yes, potentially they could put themselves in harm's way and make things worse. The Avengers going around without any kind of supervision, without having to answer to anyone, Mm. could give the wrong message not to upcoming young supers, but to the everyday ordinary human being that needs to find another way to help. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that I necessarily agree with that, but that could have been put on the table and it never was.
1: Mm. Add to but- the fact that um, because, because they have to set this up, you don't have the street-level people part of the Avengers, so everyday people don't see these power, this powerful organisation that goes around the globe Trying to do good They they see them in their ivory tower And that inspires fear mm. Mm. Like you don't have the Spider-Man Who somebody in New York sees like every every like Week or something mm. Mm. Or Daredevil who's going around at night Saving people, you only have them Dealing with huge massive threats And you have the fallout of those Where there's always casualties yeah. Mm. Yeah.
4: So you only see them on the news And if all you ever watch is Fox Then you're going to have a bad mm. opinion of them
1: mm. yeah. Speaking of um, also, current,
4: uh,
3: go on. Go
0: no, on. no, you go for it.
3: I, I mean, I think I'm going to go into a different point. So if, if you, if what you're about to say, mine's about the actual
0: signing of the thing in the first place.
3: Okay, I'll carry on after you've cool, said cool. that. Cause, uh,
0: I'll, okay, yeah. uh, the way I explained it to Lyra was that, uh, and this is before we saw the film, I suspect this is going to be that Steve will not want to sign the Avengers over to, say, a government, say if they were signed over to the, uh, the control of the American government, uh, if, they, if, if that um, was, say, a government presided over by barack obama he would instruct them to do the human equivalent of drone strikes in which many many people are uh, uh caught in, as casualties of that uh you know as as, as awesome as obama is he's quite keen on the old drone strikes and that's what they would effectively be um but steve's point is uh what if trump gets into power <laughs> that then suddenly the avengers are a terrible terrible weapon at the behest of extremely flawed people and um uh, yeah, that I think yeah, explained uh, everything to uh, uh, Lyra pretty well. I also explained the uh, the upcoming election by saying by using Star Wars as an analogy. I was like, right, a lot of uh, a lot of Jedi don't like Mon Mothma. They really really like Yoda, and they would rather vote for Palpatine than vote for Mon Mothma, <laughs> just in <laughs> case Yoda doesn't get if Yoda for some reason can't run. And uh, then I said, no, no no hang on, Palpatine. As much as he is of the obvious embodiment of evil. Uh, he's not the. He's a politician. Yeah, he's a politician. He's not the terrible businessman who's also clearly a lying slug. I mean, Jabba the Hut. <laughs> um, okay, so just there's, that's my hat in the political arena. <laughs> Josh, just, go for your next just, point.
3: Yeah, just bouncing off of what you just said. Um, what? What? One of the things I I absolutely love about this movie is that. It is it is tempting to just go straight to Team Cap because he is the primary antagonist of this film and he's such a morally forthright character who tries to do the the best Did
0: you mean thing. primary protagonist?
3: What did I say? You
0: said antagonist and I didn't really? think, I did wow. <laughs> you were wrong at that <laughs> point I he's right yeah he does um, he does inside conflict he, yeah. he's both they're both both that's why it's so they're great both, yeah that
3: yeah i mean that kind okay. of links into what i was about to say is go, that go they are it. both they are both protagonists and antagonists there is no real clear answer to this you can see both sides now i'm I'm going to be that guy who sits on the fence and and says that actually the, the, the right choice is probably somewhere in the middle um because I'm that non-committal person <laughs> um because like the only reason why the Avengers as an organization works is because Captain America is leading it mm. like you couldn't have a, a you know eventu- essentially a superpowered strike you know strike team mm. Um, that had unlimited power and could ignore sovereign borders in the real world because yeah. absolute power corrupts absolutely yeah. and the only reason why the avengers works is because captain america is incorruptible you can't corrupt him replace him with another leader even tony stark i'm sorry to say that yeah. then the avengers becomes something a lot darker And so the idea of some, you know, government supervision, some kind of structure there that doesn't allow the Avengers to just go off and do whatever they want, that makes sense. That's not an absurd, you know, moral, um, you know, morally absurd thing to suggest. It's just that the government, you know, the collective governments of the world have taken it to an extreme that's just not workable and um, and that's the conflict is that both of these people are right mm. they are both right it's mm. just they they have they're arguing on extreme ends of a spectrum and they need to meet somewhere in the middle and for whatever reason due to you know zemo's machinations or and whatever you know uh, relationships they have with other characters it just isn't allowed to flourish in this film and it ends in it ends in conflict
4: one thing I really appreciated in terms of the keeping all of the, the motivations and the uh, conclusions very ambiguous was the fact that uh, most of what motivates uh, Steve to behave the, the way he does is in defense of Bucky. Once it goes past a certain point, it's, it's the fact that all of these security forces are hounding the man who is his best friend, who he is determined to protect one way or another. And I think you can see his personal ethics kind of getting thrown out a little bit in in the fact that he has been completely consumed by the need to, to defend um, his friend. When it comes to the end of that story, what happens is Bucky himself chooses to go back under. Now, I, I thought that was both heartbreaking and, for me personally, a little unsatisfying. However, what that basically makes the point is that when it came down to it, Steve was not completely right in taking Bucky and going on the run to try and protect him. That in actual fact, there, there was some kind of restriction and restraint that needed to be put on him until he could sort himself out. Yes the fact that ultimately it was bucky's choice is very very important but i liked the fact that that kind of painted steve's decisions as not entirely perfect.
1: Yeah. I mean he says I, to himself um, whenever someone brings up bucky he goes back to being that 16-year-old kid and yeah. it because bucky is his now is his last link to his old life to the past yeah. and absolutely he absolutely does not want to lose that especially all the things that he's been through
4: Mm. yeah and and i love that they they look over and over and over again at the fact that people in positions of high power who are in possession of um, immense uh, skill and weapons and can do serious damage make decisions based on an emotional state of mind and Mm. the the most uh, obvious example of this is Tony at the end um, in the the fight sequence, which I'm sure we will come to. But I, I I thought the way that was set up and what he devolves into to participate in that battle was uh, it's shattering.
3: Yeah, the 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 great thing about this film and and why I vastly prefer it to. What little I've read of Civil War is that they allow Captain America to get a little bit dirty, as in like he's he's not right all of the time, as you said, Sharon. Like some of his motivations are selfish, um, especially when it comes to Bucky. And Iron Man in the comic, you know, the comic book Civil War, and one of the reasons why I, I'm not a huge actually a huge fan of that series and why i haven't really been able to read it in full or finish it is that iron man ends up being quite a complete shade of black villain um in that story arc even though it's presented as a morally ambiguous situation iron man is a bad guy straight up He says pretty much if
0: there's even a one percent chance (laughs) yeah whereas a bad guy folks
3: whereas tony here is you know, I, I did find my allegiances going back and forth because they allowed Captain America to do some things that were selfish, because they gave Tony moments where actually his point made sense. But more importantly, there's loads of scenes where Steve and and, and Tony are just talking about their ideas, not yeah. fighting or punching each other. Really, we only get that in two scenes in this movie. Mm. Most of the other scenes are them discussing their ideals discussing their politics and why they've chosen the path they have Mm. and talking through it like adults and it makes you know the motivations of these characters feel more mature and less like you know childish i i I will admit like i haven't seen batman versus superman No, why not but, Not (laughs) (laughs) but um when enough people i trust read uh you know start slagging off a movie um i cease to care about spoilers so i pretty much know everything that happens in that movie and it does feel like a bunch of teenagers having a scrap in a mm. schoolyard it it, it uh, but at least what i've heard it sounds look, look, like an it's immature... just
0: it's too smart for us marvel fans josh we yeah, just don't yeah, get it too, we don't get the high-minded uh, ideals of this film
3: yeah, but just because there is a dimly, you know, lit set, that means it's mature. It's mature as seven. Yeah, um, yeah, and and yeah, just allowing that to, that conflict to take place in a conversation is mm. was a wise choice.
1: One, one of the biggest things that they've set up throughout all these movies is the fact that Steve and Tony see things completely differently. Like yeah. Tony, he's a futurist; he can't help but look forward and part of the th- reason why he's on board with this is that to him this is just like the caveat to we'll negotiate them down like this is just a temporary thing if we think forward we can bring them down to a more reasonable level whereas uh, Steve is he sees what's in front of him he has to do something about it and that's why he feels that like just agreeing to this like this could be the downfall and going forward like he, he can't you can't think too far forward he's also looking back to a simpler time when
0: yes. he remembers the conflict that was black and white when he says uh, in age of Ultron, in the moment you start try and stop a war before it begins innocent people get hurt um he's remembering back when wars were simpler and it was like the, the enemy was so black and the, the heroes were so white and everything made sense back then and It was an overly simplified world simply because people weren't really consuming the kind of messages being put out with the the amount of shades of grey, stories and media and and news coverage and everything that we currently have. You can't look at the world in black and white anymore. It wasn't straightforward back then, but it felt straightforward.
1: Mm, And the key thing is that these two traits of Steve and Tony... They're both things that make us love them. Mm. The fact that Tony can think so far ahead and he's, he comes up with countermeasures for things that other people wouldn't and the fact that Cap can be so in the moment they react just perfectly at the right time, that their positive traits have a negative connotation, especially when they go against mm. each other. Because it feels like because they oppose each other so much is why they're good friends, because they want each other around to keep mm. each other in check. And this is just like the, the, um, what's a good word for it? Um, the macrocosm of that.
0: Yes. Yeah. I love that phrase you you just cited there. We need to be kept in put in check. That's uh, Tony. Tony used that. The bit when he when Steve says, "Where's Pepper? I didn't see her in here, and uh, we're we're pregnant." No, God, no. We're taking a break. Um, And then just Tony's vulnerability immediately after that, when he stands up and Steve says, I'm sorry, I didn't know. And he really doesn't, didn't know. He wasn't trying to get at Tony there. We've already seen Tony vulnerable because of the the, uh, the opening sequence where he's remembering his parents in the last moment. And we're going to see it. I mean, this is the best Iron Man ever. Iron Man dramatic, and then there's Iron Man fun. Avengers does peak Iron Man fun. This does peak Iron Man dramatic. And the original Iron Man kind of balances the two of them.
1: Oh, sorry, I was talking about the version of... Uh, the movie Iron Man is the best ever Iron Man ever created.
0: He's certainly the, 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 the one that feels the most real, the most... He's the first
1: one I've ever liked. Oh, really? Yeah. It, well, he's, he's, I, he's less I of a douche. Ca- mm, I watched the cartoons, like, religiously. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really like him. Mm-hmm. I liked
0: Rhodey. I've never wanted to hug Tony Stark, but at that point when he's talking about um, Pepper, the vulnerability exhibited there, I just thought, my God this is a very alone man right now and uh it's it's almost it annoyed me when i was leaving cuz i was like shouldn't there have been like one little phone call with gwyneth paltrow at the end there but pepper's absence is felt in this in t- just in terms of like steve has got peggy absent and tony's got pepper absent so neither of them have that just that part of themselves available anymore so that they're, they're running on just who they are. Does that make any sense? They're yeah. cut
4: off from their anima. Oh, yes, thank
0: you. <laughs> that's why I bring you on, sweetheart. Oh, God, that has wrecked me.
3: For me, this is um, Robert Downey Jr.'s best performance in any of the Marvel films. Um, I, and, and for me, this is the arc I was expecting. Not hmm. quite not quite the same, but the arc that the trailers for Iron Man 3 kind of yeah. made me think uh Tony was gonna go through, and we got it here. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, there the are just so many moments where Robert Downey Jr. gets to flex some acting muscles that he normally doesn't get a chance to do in these movies. I've seen it elsewhere, but usually he kind of defaults to his kind of natural charisma and just he's he's a naturally funny actor mm. he can he can just walk on set and act everyone you know out of their socks without really trying but here he is putting in a lot of effort to bring you know add some weight to the you know quite emotional moments and he's not here just to make us laugh he's here to make us cry and 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 make us feel sorry for him as
0: much as you know laugh at his antics mm. It it also annoyed me that Nick Fury wasn't in this, because I was thinking, how could you leave out this core member of the, the group? But then I realized that if he chose a side, that would naturally be the side we should side with. Because Nick yeah. Fury, he's a flawed man, but he's usually pretty much on the money. And in Civil War, he took a step out and Agent Hill took over. Again, it felt like Agent Hill really could have been in there instead of General Ross's son, who most people don't remember Martin Freeman was playing.
3: I th- I think... The issue with uh, Nick Fury is he is the binding agent for the Avengers, and you can't have that in a film where the Avengers are torn apart. He's the Gandalf. Yeah.
0: The first major introduction in this film, Black Panther. I can feel the shapes that this film was originally going to be. If the original announcement... They made a joke announcement that it was going to be Captain America Serpent Society, which if you're a comic fan, you'll know it entails giant snake men, like (laughs) G.I. Joe snake men. And following Winter Soldier with that would have been ludicrous. Um, And then the the, uh, eventual reveal was, nah, we got Civil War. And you know what that means. And at the time, Sony was still hardballing on Spider-Man. So they basically got... um, It was going to be a continuation of Winter Soldier to begin with, whatever happened. So you you got that Winter Soldier basis and the grounding in there and the, the search for Bucky. That was always going to happen afterwards. Then when it became Civil War, it was like, right, we'll see who we can get to go up against Cap at this point. We need someone of incredible charisma. And then they lined up Black Panther. But then they got RDJ in and then suddenly RDJ was running the show and Black Panther was... You know, almost doing his own thing, but definitely allied with Team Stark. And then they got Spider-Man. But let's just rewind it to that move in and pan up to T'Challa. Now, I know all the ladies out there who don't listen to this show were, you know, creaming your jeans at the sight of Christian Grey. You know, it's like Mr. Grey will see you now, and it's like, oh my God, we're finally gonna see it on film with that fucking god awful piece of shit film. But when it panned up to Shashana, I was like, who is this? I knew exactly who it was. But that entrance, just, you know, standing each other turns around. Chadwick Boseman is a star already to me. Wow. This, this is one of the
3: strongest introductions of a Marvel character yeah. we've had. Um, I think, you know... I really like Captain America now, but I didn't like him as much now as I did initially in Mm. the first Avenger. Mm. Um, Whereas this character, right from the word go, okay, yes,
0: I want the Black Panther movie Mm. next week. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He just radiated charisma, but with a
1: sort of quiet, steely focus. Yeah, that's the key thing. Like, he's not... He's not like a loud character. He's very calm, mm-hmm. cool, and collected. And he's the key thing that gets across is like he is firm. He's motivated. Like he, when he decides on, he is 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 the um, going back to um, Peggy's funeral and hearing about the uh, being a tree, unwavering. He is that tree already. Yeah. yeah. And. It it feels like it it's both a wonderful trait and also the crux of why he's in this movie because he is a man that he doesn't see as revenge at the time he sees it as justice and he's steadfast in going for it. Yeah. And he he isn't going to hide it. He states his objective right away to Black Widow. Yeah. I plan to kill him. Yeah. And you can't stop me. I will get a chance to kill him.
3: That's, that's his flaw as a character as he's yeah. very single-minded. I mean, they even say <laughs> um, when he's introduced that he's not a fan of democracy, which mm. already gives you an idea of his, you know, views of, uh, you know, talking it out and trying to uh, figure out a solution as a collective. It's like, no, we're doing it my way and I'm going to get it done. Mm. And um, that makes him really compelling, though, because... He, 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 it's so different from what we're used to with the other superheroes who are very much like Captain America um, is about like group dynamics. Like a lot of his fighting is. A lot of his fighting is getting other people to creatively throw him at enemies. <laughs> yeah. um, but like he he like he is very much about that even though he's a leader he's very much about a group about a family. Yeah. Whereas Black Panther as much as he's aligned with Stark he is a solo agent. He's
5: a
0: ninja. He is,
3: yeah, he is single-minded and he I I really don't get a sense that he's really that invested in the uh, you know Slokovia Accords he's He's just aligning with that because it's beneficial for him to get revenge on the Winter Soldier
1: one of the key things you have to remember is that we're meeting him at the point before he he's got the responsibilities of he's going to be king eventually Mm -hmm. and he's probably at that point where um, his father is teaching him like trying to make him understand diplomacy and like you get the sense that he might have been against coming forward with their country but his father was and um, if not for his father's death like his father would have taught him over time the benefits of diplomacy but he has to get this lesson in a far more difficult direct way where he learns that the way that he sees a certain situation it isn't always the ideal resolution that he's looking for yeah
4: Mm. i think the fact that he has this um this moral uh not neutrality but but ambivalence that he's got this feeling of uh he's got one foot on either side of the line and he could go in either direction and because he is so purposeful and so charismatic we be behind him whichever way he went mm. um, it, and the, his performance uh, Chadwick Boseman's performance just reminded me of uh, Chiletel Ejafor as the operative yep. yeah. um, just so cold so determined and yet because of the complete dedication to his purpose we're kind of with him
1: yeah. even
4: though we, we, don't, we really don't want Bucky to die but we can completely understand why he's doing what he's doing and why he's not looking at other people's claims that this can't be the truth.
1: Add to the fact where he he seems to be actively making sure he doesn't involve his people with this, like this is his vendetta. Mm-hmm. And even though it's clear, like especially from the end of the movie, like he has a vast array of resources at his fingers, yeah. he chooses not to use them. In fact, uses a separate op- uh, organization in Stark to. Mm-hmm. Resolve this issue without involving his people because he has the he does still have the weight of his people on his back, and he has to. I think he does recognize that he can't let his personal vendetta get in the way of his country's prosperity. Yeah,
4: yeah. and again, that's another example of somebody in the movie who experiences a great grief mm. um, and deals with it in a different way. And in yes. to case, it's he cuts himself off from. Everything else, technically speaking, surely what he should be doing is going back to Wakanda to take up the mantle of king mm-hmm. and lead his people. But it's almost like he's gone. Right, the revenge comes first. When and I will, I will be completely cut off from everything else until that cycle is complete. Once that's done, then I can go back to everyday life. It's almost like a, a kind of hero's journey. He's thrown into the the underworld. And he's not going to involve himself with his everyday life until that underworld process is is completed.
1: And I I love the fact that he confronts he actually confronts the person who killed his father and they actually have a conversation and understand where each other are coming from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he understands that the justice is not to kill the person responsible, but to um capt- well apprehend them and they have to live through the consequences of their actions yeah. and it, it's as josh said at the start of the um uh podcast that uh a huge theme is the cons- being consumed by revenge and recognizing that that is like you become blinded and you need to be you need to recognize when that happens and he gets that clarity right before it's too late
3: yeah also, while we're on the subject of Black Panther, that costume is really good. I uh, uh, yeah. props to the costume designer. Like that is a really good job. Uh, great translation of that uh, that character design it's, from comic. to It's film. perfect.
0: I literally couldn't design a better representation that still retained that slightly comic booky feel. Um, yes. It's it's uh, it's up there with Deadpool, and uh, and I love this new Spider-Man costume. So, yeah. Um, yeah, they're just getting better and better at doing. It. Even you know, a lot of people love the, the the new Batman costume. You know what? I do like the new Batman costume. It's the fact yeah, like that he's it. roided up is the problem. That that yeah. on just just a really built man would look awesome. Just just on this giant testicle, not so much. I'm, I I do wonder what the actual original end was before Stark was brought in, because obviously. Um, it would have been like they they needed T'Challa there at that Hydra base, and he's sort of sneaking around finding stuff out. I'm assuming he would have had his um, talk with uh, um, Zemo as well. But would there have been that no just stop thing, or would that would there have been without that? Because you know, originally when that uh, they actually threw away mentioned. Oh, by the way, Bucky killed. Honestly, um, I don't think they necessarily said that Bucky killed him. But if you remember when. Um, Armin, Arnim Zola is going through his we killed certain targets that were dangerous to Hydra when he's a uh, computer. And it sort of flashes all of those guys up on screen. Is that when you actually see Howard Stark? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, and yeah, that that, that would be when Steve found out and when Steve knew about it. Yeah. That wasn't necessarily going to be ammo for Civil War, or was it? But uh, it's, it's all speculation. But it... The film is manifestly better because we get these two characters that we've been invested in for ages clashing in the way that Civil War was originally written. But in a way that improves upon the comic in pretty much every aspect. Even down to the point that originally it's a character named um, uh, Nitro, who basically blows up when a bunch of bumbling kids, uh, the New Warriors... A tr- you know, trying to uh, get famous on a reality TV show, and they—the the whole inciting incident there—is they—they are not really. They're too young. They haven't been trained properly. They're not to be trusted. That's what that version of Civil War is about. That there's too many kids running around, not knowing what the hell they're doing. Whereas this version is even the most trained Avengers are creating absolute carnage, being left unchecked. I say again, though, had the Avengers not been there, had then cr- Crossbones would just have gone in, stolen a, uh, a, a, a chemical—it's it's like a disease, isn't it—in in a little vial, and then done God knows what with it. But then again, would he have been created? Were it not? No, because like he'd still be working for Hydra. Yeah. You know, the Hydra would have won. Twenty million people would be dead.
4: And they'd be working on the next twenty. 20- yeah.
0: Uh, anyone else even vaguely steps out of line at that point. So, yeah. Spider Man! spoke to, when I, when I went in for the second time today, uh, the uh, girl behind the counter piped up oh, I didn't think it needs spi- needed Spider-Man though, and I thought, you're the first person who said that, everyone else has gone, Spider-Man, best thing in it, or, or just loved Spider-Man um, I'm sure there are people out there who are like we really didn't need Spider-Man, kind of sick of Spider-Man
1: but for me from the word go, I was like, oh my god they've done it, I will tell you right now, <laughs> I was a person who was sick of oh, Spider-Man man. <laughs> like because so many movies and reboot after reboot and a plan to reboot it again. And this was such a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Like, they took him back to his, his younger days. Like, they, you get teenage Peter Parker still living with Art May and trying to balance school while being a superhero. And he is very much street level.
0: Would you say his representation was... Spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> it felt very much like our favorite uh, animated Spider-Man show, the, which um, kind of combines the the modern-day, uh, ultimate, the best aspects of Ultimate Spider-Man with yeah. classic era uh, Steve Ditko, Stan Lee, like uh, 60s Peter Parker. So you've got, he's not the creepier, like Chipman, as far as he's concerned, that the original first two Spider-Man films are untouchable classics, just like the original Superman you guys already know what I think of the original Superman and those first two admittedly excellent Spider-Man films, but I've always found uh, Tobey Maguire to be a creepy old man boy. Um, (laughs) This, and and then Andrew Garfield is like a snot nosed punk kid who's mean to people and uh, seems to be hung over for a hell of a lot of uh, amazing uh, one and two. Uh, There's still aspects of amazing one and two I like, but um, now that I've seen this, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Amazing one and two didn't need to happen at all. We could have just done with a break, frankly. Um, but frankly, I'm 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 very grateful that Amazing Two was so like lukewarm. Was lukewarmly received um, because if, if it gets us this, yeah, I just I, I air punched pretty much when I, so I was like, wow, it's so simple, but they've totally got it. He's this enthusiastic kid who is also shy and then, then that, that one crux point when it's like you just wanted to like you know stick up for the little guy and he's like yeah and his delivery at that point is so natural and so honest and so open you're like oh the little kid and you
1: just want to smoosh his hair and not even just that like the whole speech of at one point like uh something happened and i was different yeah. and i could do all these things but i couldn't do them before so i couldn't do them now yeah. so it was. So I had to find a way to, like, this being a hero was part outlet, part doing the things that he should have been doing. Like, he, yeah. it, it, it does the classy thing of just alluding to Uncle Ben's death. Yeah. It doesn't do yeah. the whole, let's go over that again, because that's yeah. never been done before. They never said uh, any
0: variation on great power and great responsibility. It was all just sort of within the context of that sentence. Yeah.
1: And- and you get, like, little tidbits of, like, he, he's very twitchy and very, like, awkward. And you add that little tidbit of, well, since it happened, my senses have been dialed up to, like, 11. Mm-hmm. So I, the costume helps me focus. And it's clear, like, he's ha- he has a bit of a problem with focusing because everything's sort of just coming at him every now yeah.
3: and again. I, I think, for me... It says a lot about the bravery of the filmmakers, that they were just able to go, here's Spider-Man, yeah. fully formed, you don't need the origin story, because, you know, frankly, we've seen it twice, Spider-Man. and who, who doesn't, like, out of all of this, you know, the characters in the Mar- you know, the Marvel Universe everyone knows spider-man like no one's under any kind of like oh i wonder how spider-man became spider like everyone knows it's like superman it's like batman spider-man's up there with those two
0: characters (laughs) so we didn't need to see the origin of bruce wayne's parents death again we didn't need to see krypton again
3: mm. yeah yeah hmm uh it's just it's so good to see that confidence and like tom holland um casting a younger actor mm. was yes. uh, a good decision um and because as you know jerome was saying there's a nervous energy that you get from uh, a younger performance that feels more like uh, the uncomfortable you know nerdy teenager and then like his um uh, jeff canata uh, brought this up in, in his review uh, recently he said that the talking the chattering that he does during fights and during conversations it's it, it it's almost like a product of his anxiety his yeah, teenage yeah. anxiety and it, fe- it it still feels like nerdy and um and uh, uh you know and reclusive Reaction, but in 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 a way that feels authentic to the character in the comic books because i you know i like the toby Maguire uh spider-man films more than you alex but <laughs> One thing, oh, I one like thing, them. I just
0: don't like Tobey Maguire. <laughs> yeah. the,
3: the one thing we will agree on is that Spidey's not chatty enough mm. in those films. He's very introverted, whereas here he is much more lively and much more willing to crack a yeah. joke and, and so
0: forth. But Andrew Garfield, um, when he was like, well, you've got to have him uh, you know, being a bit more wisecracking, he just came off as a bully. And sometimes in the uh, um, Spider-Man comics, that's... That's the reason that Spider-Man's, I think Chipman said this as well, Spider-Man's villains hate him because he bullies them, which basically, it it, it doesn't show Peter in a good light in that way. You know, he makes fun of um uh, of his uh, villains. There are ways, as we've just now seen, to be honest and open and annoying in a way that would drive Dr. Octopus insane, but without actually straight up bullying him.
1: Yeah. I think we're getting a uh, Peter Parker... Before he uh, Spider-Man, before he realizes talking confuses people. Yeah. Like yeah. at the moment, everything is so new and raw to him. Like he just needs to express it. Like, oh, that's cool. Mm. What's happening there? That guy's got a metal arm. That's cool. How did he throw that shield? How does that work? And yeah. he's. It's eventually you get the idea that he'll realize that. Oh, me constantly chattering at people. Throws them off because they don't have this constant like sense going off in their head yeah. where if danger's coming along I can just dodge, yeah. the, but me constantly talking to you is distracting you from what you want to do. Spider Man's responsible for a really wonderful
0: unifying moment as well between Steve and um, Tony, although they may not know it. When Steve and Tony are arguing during that wonderful scene I mentioned earlier where Pepper is sighted, uh, Steve's getting angry at Tony because of Wanda being held by Vision. Um, she 's a she 's an avenger she 's a kid, and then at the end of the big battle royale did I say Battle royale at the end of the royal rumble spidey 's down Tony runs over to him, are you okay kid and he 's got this look on his face of God God, another one and he specifically uses the word kid. This emphasizes that these are adults, trained adults, and they are trying to keep the younger generation of heroes alive during incredibly dangerous situations. That's that aspect of Civil War brought in to its most uh, pure, its most altruistic. It's, it's you know, passing on the legacy side of being a costumed hero. And it's also the first time we ever get to see Spider-Man as a kid from the perspective of an adult who's not trying to kill him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can't imagine what it's like to be 16 and constantly have adults trying to kill you.
4: I think having him specifically at that age, though, is really important to emphasise the the awkwardness and the insecurity mm. of who he is. Um, because I think that when you were talking about the, the whole bullying element of, of how Spidey has behaved towards his villains in, in previous incarnations, it, a lot of that, I suspect, is that they have downplayed insecurity and the awkwardness when he's in costume not when he's as Peter Parker that's there um but when he's in costume I think they've tried a bit too hard to make him cool Mm. and um and that because he he is then presented as um this quick fire costumed hero then it feels a bit unbalanced because he is above his enemy whereas in in the way he's presented here, that insecurity is there and the babble is his way of covering up for it and the uh, the being so desperate to prove himself and so desperate to, to go one more mile and do the thing that he is now too whacked out to do um, is, you know, it, it's, it creates a bond between him and Tony as well because like you said about the uh, the... The way he's, the way Tony has responded to young, bright kids mm. um, who are put in harm's way because of his action, and the fact that he, he does that incredibly generous gesture with the the students at the beginning, those are young, bright kids that he's trying desperately to give um, support to, and I think he's he's got this constantly trying to. Uh, protect some semblance of the innocence that he feels like he lost too young, even though he wasn't all that young when his parents were killed. I think he was about, what, 17, something like mm. that. Yeah. Um, th- there were there was clearly something very, very crucial and, uh, and childlike and the seed of potential in him that whether it was or not, he perceives as being lost because although he's accomplished a lot of things, I think there, is, there has always been an absence about Tony. There has always been um, a void somewhere. And in every version of him, in some, he fills it with drink. In this, it's workaholism. Um, there's something that he's trying to compensate for. And no matter how his arc has progressed, it's not been resolved. And I liked the fact that this backtracked on the end of Iron Man 3, right. where having destroyed all of his suits, how long was it before he had to start again he just he couldn't leave it yeah.
0: there's another tie between uh, him and Parker uh, guilt the uh, the line that uh, he actually, Tony gives in the um, the memory is uh, you know I love you dad I know, know you always tried your hardest and that's the line he never got to say to his father and so he has incredible unresolved daddy issues uh, which mm-hmm. um, manifest themselves with clashing with Steve the you know younger brother who's awesome or older brother who's awesome <laughs> um, but you know the earliest creation and uh, Peter almost universally motivated by guilt at fighting with Ben just before Ben died and wanting to do better than the man he saw himself or the young man the angry selfish young boy that he saw himself at at that shameful moment mm.
3: Bring on Spider-Man: Homecoming!
1: Yes. I, I, weird little thing. I just want um, Peter and Stephen to sit down and have a talk about the origins because they're both very little weak people who got immense power, and essentially were the same person, but couldn't. Actually, cut this out.
0: I don't. No, know I, I know what you mean. Do you think <laughs> Doctor Erskine would have liked young Peter? That yes, a bad
1: little kid. I'm drinking later, drink it now. But you do get that little, you do get that little moment of, hey kid, where are you from? Queens? Nice. Brooklyn. And like you you don't have to be from New York to understand that's a New York. Thing. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And I
1: love that little
3: uh, battle between those two because mm. um it demonstrates that, you know, Spider-Man in terms of raw power, he's probably one of the more powerful Uh, chess pieces in that battle he's he's a lot stronger than captain america and a lot faster but steve's advantage is that he's just a lot better at this at this Mm. point and a lot more experienced and what you know ultimately he i feel like he wins that little fight because he's more experienced and he kind of uses spider-man's power against Mm. him Mm. and you kind of get a sense of what like even though Captain America is on the lower end of the power spectrum yeah. in this battlefield, you get a sense of why he's so dangerous because he is just better at fighting than everyone he's else. He's very good tactically. Oh, tats- yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, he's a tactician as well as a war judging what to do yeah. at that point, which is ironic since um, uh, Lum- Romlow uh, Crossbones gets him by mentioning Bucky, and all those tactics melt away and. Because it takes him back to a place before he was Captain America, and it's so heartbreaking, especially when you realise the fallout on this—the second time when Crossbones is about to explode and Wanda grabs him and flings him upwards. The impact of that explosion, rather than making it melodramatic and no, it's just Wanda like holding her hand over her mouth or just the Jesus. Elizabeth Olsen is a fantastic actress as well, that's another thing so much talent in this film, and <laughs> yes. another thing so many sexy people, just everyone <laughs> sexy, just everyone I'm not gay but I can appreciate every single one of these men is ha
1: <sighs> anyway <laughs> insert I'm sexy and I know exactly. it exactly I'm sexy and I know it <laughs>
0: Jesus. There is not time for us to go through every single character. But do you want to, like... like, Okay, there's two at least that I'm going to hand over to Sharon because she is very heavily invested in them who brought her to tears several times. Uh, They're both ladies. uh, Black Widow and Sharon Carter.
4: Mm -hmm. Start with Sharon. Okay. Um, I think, for me, the... There's a really obvious reason why I'm invested in Sharon Carter, um, <laughs> and it sounds really trite. But you, it, when you look for heroes, you look for points of connection, and sometimes the the simplest ones are the most effective.
0: So and someone who looks like you is called Sharon, works in admin, and is quite understated and very, very pretty, but also extremely smart and forthright. It's going to kind of resonate with you. I... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I,
4: I couldn't possibly comment on the very. I'm just
0: part. I, I was trying to illustrate what um, points of comparison you were looking at there without yes. the, leaving you sounding big headed.
4: Thank you. I appreciate it greatly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I I never had the opportunity to really get into, um, how she was presented in the comics much. Um, but there are a couple of issues of her being kind of the focal point of the story, um, that I've read and really felt quite connected with her. Um, and, I was really hoping that they would do something. I thought Emily van Camp did a great job playing her as Kate, the nurse Mm -hmm. um, in winter soldier. And I was really hoping that they would do significantly more with her uh, in civil war. I didn't quite get as much of her as I wanted, but I think we got as much as was really needed for this movie um and i think that her her character is nowhere near as well developed as some of the others and i think if they tried to put too much focus on either developing her character which would then uh, have necessitated it being at the expense of other characters who frankly are more important to this story yeah or getting her to do more without having that character development, which would have felt forced and would not have felt consistent with the way the Russos particularly um, have done their work with Marvel characters. So I think in terms of that balance, it was, it was just about okay. Um, and, um, and yeah, I was I, I thought her speech at the funeral was, was lovely. I really liked the fact that she made the point that she didn't tell anybody that she was related to Peggy because it would be... Um, too much to live up to and she wanted to to carve her own path, Um, which again, these these little incidental moments that tell you so much about who that person is, but aren't like a big deal conversation where they outline exactly what their laundry list of character flaws are. Um, And um, yeah, the kiss by the car, like... (laughs)
3: Great. i love i love the new best friend old best friend nodding
0: mm-hmm.
1: Steve. <laughs> yeah. just like yeah you deserve that mm, indeed,
0: i also love that so... you couldn't have done that before i hate you they make a great team those two. Mm,
4: they do um playing up the uh the comedy moments mm. Uh, so yeah, and Emily van camp was was really great. and I hope they bring her back in to do more in um, in Marvel films in the future, even if, frankly, they end up not involving Steve that much. Yeah. Um you know I'd, I would like to see her doing other stuff and ultimately her the position that she's attained pretty quickly in the CIA, considering that she didn't join up that long ago. I'm just um, in a good word. Well, yes, fair point. Um, but um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like really like to see her brought in with um, with other stuff further down the line, um, and Natasha. Yeah. Uh, I. What can I say about Natasha? The the I was seriously gutted by the idea that she was going to be mm-hmm. um, not on Steve's team anymore, mm-hmm. and the feeling of vindication and satisfaction that I got when she switched uh, which is let's face it what black widow is good at so why I wasn't expecting that to happen I'm not sure um, but uh, it was it was a a very powerful moment for me. Yeah.
0: She was playing the effective Spider-Man role in that. In the and uh, the comic, uh, Spider-Man starts at Team Stark and then basically has an ethical crisis of conscience and goes over to Team Cap and suffers for it as a result. Uh, I actually really like the fact that she was on uh, um, Team Team Stark. The the idea being that the, you're taking things away from Steve, like these, you know the basis that he has that he can rely on. I love the fact that Sam stuck with him. I love the fact that while um, uh, Natasha opposed him, she was begging him the whole way through just to lay down his shield.
4: Mm. I think as well,
0: but also knowing he wasn't gonna, that's the other thing she knows enough about him to know that this is just going to keep becoming a, he's just going to keep going.
4: Mm. I think the other thing as well is that having seen how her story played out in Winter Soldier, what you said about the, I mean, they all have their own reasons for, for getting behind the Sokovia Accord. And I think the way I interpreted Nats is, was twofold. One She's not used to working without controls. She's not used to somebody not being in charge of her. And in spite of the fact that she's participated in overthrowing Shield effectively by, you know, pulling all the Hydra bits out, there wasn't much left. Yeah. Um, I think uh, you, you kind of see these threads of her actually being extremely uncomfortable at working in a situation where she's making her own choices. Um, and secondly, guilt. Mm that ultimately can you really really wipe out out that that much much red, red is still haunting her and will be for a very, very long
0: time. Why no Black Widow movie? Question mark.
4: Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, God damn it, guys. One
1: of the reasons why I love Black Widow so much is the fact that her world is, like, permanently grey. She cannot see things black and white because she knows things are rarely, if ever, black and Mm. white. And the fact that she's trying to hold this team—obviously, she she's trying to take up Nicholas. What the
3: uh, uh. Nick Fury?
1: So I was about to say Nicholas Cage. Like, <laughs> You're thinking of
3: Luke Cage? <laughs> that's
1: <why I> <laughs> the fact that she she is trying to take up the Nick Fury position of like, you guys need to call off and think about mm-hmm. this, like in the big picture, and take your egos out of yeah. this. And like you can see she's constantly torn because she she sees like this is going to happen and she's just trying to soften the blow. Mm,
4: yeah. um, Which is a very difficult position to be in because when you can see multiple sides yeah. of a situation, it can be very difficult to make a choice and it can put you in a position where it's it's hard for uh, other people to trust you because they they only see the fact that you're effectively playing both sides.
5: Yeah.
4: Um, they don't see the kind of the tearing that goes on inside when you can see all sides or, or at least you know some of us are being presented, and it is really incredibly hard for you to choose between
1: them. Josh, oh, that, sorry. Moment, that moment when it's just Natasha and Tony mm. talking at the Avengers compound. Yeah. And he throws back in, uh, I guess it's just genetically, you're just genetically predisposed to do that, like throwing back in, in her face the whole red room issue. Yeah. Like, oh, you're just, you are you can't help yourself. Like, that is like the perfect moment. I just want to clock Tony. Like, how literally, how dare you say that? This person who's standing by your side and ostensibly trying to give you a path through this hard point mm. and you just throw that back in your face because you can't let go of your ego. And she is, she biz, she does, she is the bigger person who says, can't you just let go of your ego for one second instead of, because it's clear, like, she, she would know a whole bunch of personal things to throw back right in his face, but she doesn't. Mm. But tries to, like, bring his mind back to the point of hand and like make him recognize how terrible of a thing he's just said. She's always been one of the most mature
0: Avengers. Mm. Um Josh, you were about to answer when I said, why well, no black widow movie? And then all of us talked oh, yeah, at once. Sorry. <laughs> sorry.
3: Um, no, I was just wondering if you guys saw the recent comments from Kevin Feige saying <laughs> that they're committed to making a black widow movie. No. Have, have you not seen? Right. I, I need
1: to link it to you. Guys. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have this... Aaron, are you excited? I, I, I keep <laughs> I keep saying this on every podcast at some point, but I try to, like, literally dial out... How come you guys just let us the... talk for ages without answering that question?
0: <laughs> okay, Marvel has taken uh, the tiniest steps towards finally making a Black Widow movie three hours ago on Gizmodo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's
0: not confirmed!
3: Wait a minute. I, Kevin, there's a c- actual comment oh, okay, okay. from... Uh, wait a minute, let me find it. Maybe
0: it's not as confirmed as I thought it was. Wait a minute.
3: Uh, hang on. What We've I announced want.
0: the next nine movies, 10 County Civil War through at the end of 2019. Where we go beyond that are ongoing discussions that we'll focus on the next few years because we have a lot to do before then. Of the characters that you just mentioned, I would certainly say the one creatively and emotionally that we are most committed to doing is Black Widow. We think she's an amazing character. We think Scarlett Johansson's portrayal of her is amazing. She's a lead Avenger and has amazing mm, <laughs> stories in her own right to tell in The Amazing Black Widow. And we think it would be fun to turn into a standalone franchise. Okay, please do. <laughs> yeah.
4: Please. just it, it doesn't even have to be a franchise. This is the thing. Here's my idea, right? Mm-hmm. There is, uh, there is a, a facet of the comic versions that... Uh, when bookie was the winter soldier he was involved in training um yeah. some of the red room girls and that he had um at least a, a, a i don't know that particular storyline but that he had at least a passing hand in natasha's training and all i want hang
0: on hang on, all hang on all I want. I want. this sounds remarkably like slash to me.
4: <laughs>
0: but carry on
4: excuse me it's a viable prequel
0: it's a I seen where she's going. Yeah, I like it, except for the fact that, um, that Bucky would be considerably older and considerably more roided up, and Scarlett Johansson would be in her forties.
4: Yes, I accept playing a
0: twenty-year-old girl.
4: Yes, I get that. I know, um, but um, but yeah, basically that sort of prequel idea is one which appeals to me. And it doesn't require them to take anything out of continuity because it's all kind of stuff that's happened before.
0: What did you guys think of um, uh, Winter Soldier
1: in this as as a progression of his character in Winter Soldier? Really enjoyed it. The fact that, like, he's... You've got the Bucky, he's he's snapped out of his, like, his programming. Mm. Like, it's still in him, but he's been trying to live a normal life life and it's clear, like, he's... He, he says it like he remembers every single mission, like everything that he's been through. And he's trying to find some semblance of normalcy to the point where when Cap shows up, he tries to deny that he really knows him because to invite that into his life would be to start back down upon that, that lifestyle, that path of being an agent. Mm. And like I, one, one of my favorite things was just him like at the market just buying mm. figs and just having that all shattered because Zemo needed him to imp- to get that information.
3: Honestly, at this point, I, I think the winter soldier is one of the stronger characters in the MCU. Mm. Um, maybe not, you know, one of the most likable and, and immediately charismatic or what have you, but just in terms of his um, complexity as an individual, I think he's really compelling and fascinating. Mm. Um, and and I think Civil War is strangely much more his movie than the movie that bears his name, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which we established Winter is called Winter
0: Soldier because Steve is the soldier that will keep on fighting even during the hardest times.
3: Yeah, and yeah, and and Winter Soldier isn't his movie; it's Steve's movie. Yeah. Like absolutely, and 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 the kind of the the real threat of that movie is Hydra, and and. And yeah, so here we get to flesh him out a bit more and he is more central to the conflict um, that's going on in in this story. I really I think Sebastian Stan does a great job. Mm. Um, One of the things I really like is there's a real distinct difference between. Um, uh, Bucky uh, in Captain America: The First Avenger, and any flashbacks we have to him mm, yeah. uh, before the accident, and the character we see now, because he has done so many horrible things and done so much that mm. even after snapping out of it, he's still a different person. He can't, he can't have done all that and
0: not come away from it fundamentally changed. Tony asks, "Do you um, remember them?" And he is during a fight. It's almost a throwaway line. I remember everyone. He. Has all of that on his conscience. Yeah,
4: and I love the way they they've presented him as a veteran as well. That he is, if you look at how he's living, um, and the the things like the way he dresses, the way he presents himself, um, it's it's all painfully realistic in terms of people who have been uh, who have you know, been serving in the military and something has gone wrong for them and they've had to leave for whatever reason. Um, and the the support network has just dropped away from them. <laughs> and that they've got to then survive in a world that they are not equipped for.
0: Did you notice he was speaking Romanian when he was in Bucharest? Uh, get, buying the yes. plums. It's just a, lo- a lovely little sort of uh, uh, detail on the fact that he has had to learn all these languages to uh, to be able to blend in. And so... Th- Although
4: that... Sebastian Stan is Romanian.
0: Oh, wow. Fantastic. So it, it just, it seemed incredibly natural. There was a throwaway line where uh, someone said of, of these, like, the, the terrifying winter soldiers that could be unfrozen, they can blend in, they can do anything, they can, they can, you know, infiltrate. And it was like, well, hang on, the last time they were even thawed out was 1991. They're going to come in there going what's the latest mc hammer song that they're going to be slightly behind the times the last time they were alive the internet wasn't around so yeah they're going to be dreadful old analogs uh they haven't got uh the the more modern
1: training that uh that bucky has um i think it was under the assumption that their activator would catch them up yeah there's this thing called the internet. It's, it's, it's far faster than last yeah. time. You know that cell kit guy? We kept on those <laughs> yeah. hard drives. Yeah, he fits on this little thing in my hand right
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> little iPod on him, on Zola. Um, there was another really great uh, um, uh, little detail, which no one ever mentions in the movie, which, Sharon, you might remember in an interview with Sebastian Stan, someone asked him a very pointed question about one of his props.
4: Mm. oh it was um i think somebody asked him on facebook or something it was a, a, a passing comment um the the backpack that bucky grabs from the floorboards mm. on his way out of the apartment mm. um, and uh, in fact there's another nod to it there's a, a notebook <clears throat> on top of the fridge that steve picks up when he comes in um and is just kind of flicking through and it's got you know scribbled handwriting mm. and and um, photographs in it um but apparently according to uh, sebastian stan that backpack contains numerous notebooks that basically every time he he started to come back to himself a little bit, he would very quickly write down as much as he could remember uh, um, no. in those notebooks, and he keeps them with him all the time, the idea being that that they are what, they are him, they are where he's put what is left of him, and if, you know, the heat comes down and he has to disappear, mm. that bag is what goes with him. If um because that's all he's got left and i think he said he got um or he, he worked on the concept um with uh, uh, carers for people who have alzheimer's and, and other forms of dementia that they encourage them to write down things that they can remember so that then when they're having a bad day and it's difficult to pull those things together they can look at them and say well yeah i, I wrote this that's my handwriting i know that's my mm. memory
1: it's like trying to counteract the program they put into it. Like mm-hmm. he's activated by some sort of crazy, but he's created a system around himself where, if he starts to lose himself, he can remind himself like this is who I am. These are my memories. Mm-hmm. Like yeah.
4: um, there was one other um, thing about the, his living setup actually that I I think is a nod to the line in Winter Soldier where Sam says about the bed's like too soft. Like
1: sleeping on a marshmallow.
4: Like sleeping on a marshmallow. Bucky sleeps on a mattress on the floor. Yeah. Possibly for the same reason.
1: Yeah. Um, his fear of being reactivated, like oh. that switch when he realizes what this man actually wants to do to him. Mm. And like the, like you can sense the helplessness because he, he's, he's got him in the perfect situation where the amount of time it would take him to get out would be the amount of time he could activate him. Yeah. And ostensibly, like, I keep saying ostensibly, why not? It's I- not even a word. It's it's ostensibly.
0: (laughs) But you're right. In context, ostensibly
1: is fine. Yeah. And he's created a situation where no matter what he does, like this will be blamed on him and this he doesn't even have the thing of people will go back to thinking he's just still in Hydra agent, like he can't get that out of him. And when it comes to the fact where he's waking up and he's asking, What did I do? Like, you can imagine, like, how many times he's gone through that in his head without actually vocalising it. And he has to, each time, like, he has to go through resol- resolving that he's done this. Yeah.
4: Mm. Which, again, is a facet of, of um, you know, people who experience uh, manic episodes and psychotic episodes and, and panic attacks and, and situations where they are not in their own head and um, or at least not in control of their own actions and you know that moment of of kind of when the fog starts to clear what happened this time Um, and I think part of what really draws me about the way uh, Sebastian Stan plays this character is you count up how few lines he has he gets this across without much in the way of dialogue. It's all physical. It's all in his face. It's all in his, his posture, um, you know, the, the gestures that he has, the way he moves. It, the fact that you're now starting to get those wonderful little comedy moments coming through, which obviously there was very little of in, in Winter Soldier, uh, but that bit where um, he asks Sam to move his seat forward.
5: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
4: and that was hilarious because it was so unexpected. Just the sullen look on his face as it shifts forwards to the other side.
1: It's like, I I get it, but really? Mm.
0: I honestly didn't expect as much Scarlet Witch and Vision as we got. That was a a lovely surprise. Uh, I I really liked uh, Scarlet Witch in in, uh, Age of Ultron, but I suspected that uh, in the future they probably wouldn't be focusing on her too much because there was too many other heavy hitters to really focus on, and they already had one woman. Fortunately, (laughs) I know. I didn't make You're that. You're allowed to. Oh, by the way, in terms of uh, um, uh, diversity, three black guys. I know, yeah. right? And, like, and two of them were on different sides. Yeah. And they talked yeah. to each other and were very distinct. Yeah. Yeah oh and by the way that uh, that foot chase through the road with uh, uh, Black Panther chasing just, just after oh, Bucky gets there
1: yeah. oh my god so that, that motorcycle sequence where he knocks the guy off, grabs him in the air and just lands and keeps going where have the Russo brothers been it's it's stuff like this that it basically
0: it, 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 Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice is my worst film of this year and this is my best film of this year it, they make, when they're on the Rotten point... Rotten Tomatoes agrees with yeah, you. <laughs> when they're on point, Marvel make this stuff seem effortless. Yeah, I don't I don't get, like, I, I can understand the whole, oh, superhero fatigue. When are we going to be, you know, blah, blah, blah. I can understand that. Could you kind of leave Marvel out of that from now on? Like, it's everyone else trying to do that. There was never a point when I was... It felt like, despite this massive juggling act, that they were trying to be like something else. They were trying to be themselves while making this movie, and they succeeded admirably. They were trying to be the best that they could be.
1: Um, uh, one quick thing about uh, the whole sequence with uh, Vision and Scar- Scarlet Witch: mm. the fact that, like, you 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 get the you get the characterization of Vision is he is like greater good like thinking yeah. and unfortunately because he doesn't have that he has that human element missing that he doesn't under, he can't quite understand that you can't just say it's for the greater good and people will comply with you yeah yeah and the fact that he he keeps saying like you know people don't like you people don't dislike you wonder they just can't help it mm. and it's up to us to show them that they're wrong but he does it in the absolute worst way where if we just lock you up and show that you're not a threat, everything will be fine without recognising that that is the absolute thing that she's scared of. Yeah. And the sequence where you get um, Clint coming in, like he comes out of retirement to get her, and his entire plan is that I'm not going to stop him, you are. And you have that replay of the Age of Ultron where, do I have to slap you out of this again? Like, this, we're going to do this. Like, you have to do this, otherwise things will never change. And the fact that they set up where Vision's um, wonders powers come from the gem in Vision's uh, forehead and the fact that she uses that connection to actually affect him. Mm. Like, she's one of the few people who can.
3: I, I really like the idea that as Vision essentially grows, he's actually becoming more and more flawed. Yes. Person. Mm. That's yes. the best. Um It's almost like in his initial creation... He was perfect. He was perfect, yeah. and Pure. now everything is tainting him. Mm. And I'd be really curious
0: to see if he can still pick up Force Hammer now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get he to. certainly has more doubt now about himself. I, I really love that That Paul Bettany is, as we all know, a fantastic actor. And there was that uncertainty and almost childishness, which makes him really appealing to kids to go, oh, he's a robot. He's a little bit like Mr. Data. And he's sort of trying to learn about humans. And that It was exemplified in his wardrobe. Like he could have been walking around there looking like, you know, crazy robot Thor but he's wearing sort of a sweater, and it looks ridiculous on him. Yes.
1: That's the, the, I think the current run of Vision is, like, he's built himself a family, and he's in middle suburbia, right. and he's wearing a polo shirt and some dress pads, and it looks absolutely ridiculous because he's got a pink face. Tits on a bull. <laughs> I
4: wonder if the reason for his becoming more flawed is to do with the destruction of Ultron. Mm. Yeah. Because ultimately, Ultron was the shadow, mm-hmm. and Vision was the ideal. And in destroying the shadow, you kind of end up incorporating those elements into yourself.
0: Yeah, I mean that, that it could be a very literal. There was nowhere else for a sliver of Ultron to go but into Vision.
4: Mm. Yeah, or that without the uh, the negative yardstick of Ultron to show him what not to do vision ultimately starts to see things in a similar way and the idea that um, that control is better than freedom. If it means safety, I'm not saying he doesn't have very viable motivations for yeah. it, um, but that that control becomes the most important thing. And just to, um, to briefly go back to, to Wanda for a moment, one of the things I really loved about her character was the fact that she became kind of the the uh, the placeholder for all the mutants that weren't in this film um, yeah. that the in the Civil war story the the whole like the idea of, of superhero registration is something that the mutants cannot get behind collectively simply yeah. because of, of the fact that they are born with their uh, their talents they cannot simply give up what they do um, and so they have no choice it's basically register or go to prison um, and so the idea that Wanda has to be kept locked up kind of felt like you know they don't have a whole raft of mutants to show this particular uh, theme with so hmm. we, we just have Wanda.
1: Hawkeye?
0: This is the one, two, three, fourth film with Hawkeye. Technically, Thor was – the bits with Hawkeye were filmed on set of The Avengers. Now that we've actually seen him slow – this, to me, is Clint Barton. Dry, humorous – but kind of long suffering as well. Um, and also kind of really uh, he, he had that sli- he's got that slight, you know, classic green arrow socially mindedness to him. Uh, so when Tony comes in, he starts uh, um, clapping sarcastically and berating Tony for being a futurist and telling everybody how, you know, they're, they're going to be safe as long as they're locked up. This is the Hawkeye I've been waiting for. And, It really makes it feel like he was shortchanged in Avengers. They sacrificed that character, Um, and so it's really good to to now see him like slowly grow into that guy. And I hope if there is a Black Widow movie, that Hawkeye is definitely in it. Yeah.
1: Like I feel the the fact that he felt so strongly about this that he came out of retirement. Came out of retirement, cancelled a nice trip with his family Mm. to come and do this because. He he is a he is a type of he is a conscience for the team. Yeah, I feel that um, Black Widow and Hawkeye were, are substantially the conscience of the Avengers a lot of the time because they are so grounded and their world is so grey. Mm. And her, uh, Natalia's is from the point of being an agent constantly switching sides. Like people's motivations can change constantly. Whereas Clint is like, nothing can encompass everything. Like sometimes the you have, sometimes the little person is going to get hurt because you can't see the forest through the trees. Yeah.
0: Was pretty much the same as Roddy's always been. His biggest development obviously comes at the very end, and uh, I actually like the fact that he represents the what has been lost, and that they're now on shaky ground as uh, um, as heroes. I also like the fact that he was like, "Don't help me," and you know, pulling himself back up again and being able to get himself up, back to some semblance of normality on his own steam, and. When he was knocked out, I was like, "Shit, no, 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 no!" And it—I mean, we'd had that teased over and over again. So if—if if anything, the twist was he didn't die because obviously in the trailer they—they they show you him. Oh, I did see. That. Wiped. Oh, of course, yeah, you avoid trailers. Well, yeah, there was that sort of "Oh God, my friend," but then when you go back to it the second time. Um, there's always that little titter as uh, Falcon approaches and Tony just blows him straight over. There was, I, I, I didn't find the least bit funny the second time because yeah. I was feeling what Tony was feeling. The um, Just the, the, the wreckage of that. Ultimately, Tony doesn't have that many really good friends. No. And uh, Happy was put in serious danger. Pepper was put in serious danger and has now left him. God knows where, whether to return or not. And, uh, you know, Rhodey's the guy who stuck by him through this and he knew, you know, would back him up and... Even Jarvis
1: is a... He's lost Jarvis. Jarvis is now a person. Yeah. Who, doing Who doesn't own thing. often agree with him. No. Yeah. Tony, if someone dies on your watch, you don't give up. Who said we're giving up?
0: We
2: are for not taking responsibility for our actions. This document just shifts the blame. I'm sorry, Steve, that... That is dangerously arrogant. This is the United Nations we're talking about. It's not the World Security Council. It's not S.H.I.E.L.D., it's not Hydra. No, but it's run by people with agendas, and agendas change. That's good. That's why I'm here. When I realized what my weapons were capable of in the wrong hands, I shut it down Stop stopped manufacturing. Tony, you chose to do that. If we sign this, we surrender our right to choose. What if this panel sends us somewhere we don't think we should go? What if there's somewhere we need to go, and they don't let us? We may not be perfect, but the safest hands are still our own. If we don't do this
0: now, It's going to be done to us later. I have an equation. Oh, this'll solve
1: everything. (laughs) (laughs) Like you, you just get a pure sense of how often does Vision do this? Like like we get it. You like your analogies.
0: I like now that the fact that with the um, opening sequence, it now feels like the Avengers are an ongoing team doing missions to try to deal with, in many cases, the fallout of their previous missions. Um, But. But it now feels like the Avengers aren't just the guys who save New York; they do other stuff and yeah. Um, yeah as peacekeepers and trying to stop terrible things happening
3: it it's very i think it's very clever to use the remnants of Hydra yeah. as kind of the cold open to these movies. They did it in Age of Ultron and they've done it here as well yeah. because it, you know first of all it it maintains that Hydra is still a big deal. I don't think there because Winter Soldier um, the way Winter Soldier ended don't think HYDRA are gone. They are still a dangerous threat. But also yeah, as you say, it, it gives you a sense that there's stuff going on beyond these movies like the story doesn't stop when the credit
1: credits roll. I'd just like to give a brief mention to Ant-Man. Yes. Yes, um, a nice little punch of levity Crowd, during the pleaser. whole situation. Yeah, yes. I- and I I am so glad they did the massive the Ant Man. Ant-Man. Yeah. yeah, I had a bastard Lego kit. Spoil that for me
0: because they had a really big Ant Man. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh no! I managed to avoid finding that out,
1: but my god, that kit looks awesome. Do want? <laughs> yeah. They 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 understood like one of the best jokes of Ant Man was the fact that he keeps getting affected by these little like the the point where he runs over, um, Scarlet. Not Scarletch, um Black, Black Widow. Widow yeah. And you think, oh, he's he's got her. Then he just runs over her collars and gets sacked like a small small little insect because <laughs> he's still he's still a small, small person. Mm. Yeah but it it's
3: Man's such a I think an interesting character for action sequences mm. because you can generate so much humour and levity with him,
1: mm. but he's also really powerful as well. Yeah, yeah. Um it's similar to Spider-Man. Like, you, you don't quite yeah. understand, like, this guy can shrink so far down that he could kill you. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like th- they say in the Ant-Man movie that because of his uh, size relative to his strength, he's effectively like a bullet. Yeah, so yeah. this guy is very, very potent in a combat situation. But there's so, like th- this movie especially is so creative in the way they use it and demonstrating how this um, seemingly silly power actually can be extremely useful even against the most powerful of Avengers. Like Iron Man is, you know... Kind of temporarily disabled by Ant-Man just kicking about in his innards. and
1: yeah, and he's he's confronted with someone who likes to joke just as much as him. Yeah, yeah This yeah. is your conscience. We haven't spoken that much <laughs> How about our other recruit.
2: He's raring to go. Had to put a little coffee in him, but he should be good. <clears throat>
0: what time zone is this? Come on. On.
5: Captain America. Mr. Lang? <laughs> it's an honor.
0: I'm shaking your hand too long. Wow, this is awesome. Captain America, I know you too. You're great.
5: Jeez. Ah, uh, look, I wanna say, I know you know a lot of super people, so,
0: <sighs> thanks for thanking of me.
2: Hey, man. What's up, Tic Tac?
0: Uh, Good to see you. Look, what happened last time- It was when a great I...
2: audition, but it'll it'll never happen again. They tell you what we're up against? Something about some psycho assassins? We're outside the law on this one. So if you come with us, you're a wanted man. Yeah, well, what else is new?
0: I'm amazed that they didn't manage that. They managed to balance that whole fight, that whole brawl, and they got the tone to shift when Vision turned up. He pretty much drew a line in the
1: sand. Yeah, yeah. Because when Vision fights, like there is nothing funny. Like when he's in confrontation mode, he's in confrontation. He's looking to take you down effectively. And a nice
0: replacement for the robot Thor from the the awful comic moment.
3: Yeah, Um, and I think you know vision's kind of filling in for hulk and four in this film because i i I know some people have said that they've missed four and hulk in this film but i think those two characters are so powerful yeah um, yeah yeah it would we've got hulk on our side so just having vision who is you know relatively kind of similar in power to maybe four um and just having him be the person who changes the tone of the fight, just the one character who does that, yeah. it feels more economical than having both Hulk and Thor there and Vision and it just being a mess. Because ultimately no one can beat Hulk. Like he, <laughs> there's, ple- there's people that can hold their own and survive a fight with Hulk, mm. but yeah, no one can beat him. You?
0: Yeah. yeah yeah. the only the thing that takes Hulk out in the end is not actually Tony's fist in Veronica it's seeing the aftermath of his his rage and the people suffering
1: because yeah. people literally forget there is a person in there mm. like try to communicate with I know it's immensely scary to try and talk to Hulk mm. you should try it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you first but <laughs>
4: Also, the- it enables them to have that wonderful line with um, uh, where Tony says to Natasha, "We could really use a Hulk right about now," yeah. and uh, and her response is basically, "He's not going to be on our side." Yeah,
1: <laughs> you think the man, constantly paranoid of being locked up, will side with you about locking him up? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. It's. I mean,
0: basically, Thor and Hulk are two very strong flavors, and there was such a delicate mix this whole way through that, yeah, it would have unbalanced.
1: I, I just wouldn't be clear. He's not afraid of being locked up for the sake of being locked up. He'll be afraid of locked up because he'll know he'll eventually escape. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But um, I think we're going to get plenty of both of them in Ragnarok. So, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Also, by the way, what was uh, Thor doing at this point? The Huntsman, Winter's War. 16% on Rotten Tomatoes. The only <laughs> thing worse than Batman v Superman. Oh, apparently Mother's Day is at 7% right now. So that's what the chick flicks are doing. The one guy left in the in the big brawl, and that's um, Falcon. Yes,
1: I love I love all of his choreography. Like the way he spins in midair, folds up his wings, lands, gets back in the air, tracks people, has his little drone. Like, what does he call him? Red?
0: Uh, red, red Wing. Wing. That's it It was originally a literal falcon in yeah, the I remember. and they've changed it to a drone. It's, it's awesome. Back when he was just a guy in a kick-ass
1: costume. Yeah. Oh, my God, that 70s red number. Um, in fact, I think he actually said, like, when he was first cast as falcon, he was kind of hoping they'd give him <laughs> <laughs> at some point to where they were. Got- they compromised with the red highlights. But um, the
0: the thing I really like about Sam's relationship with uh, Steve is that they they often sort of talk like standing side by side, facing in different directions, just ever so slightly looking at each other or just looking away over their shoulders. They're very in cahoots. They completely trust each other. Mm -hmm. So uh, I I, I like the fact that they presented Steve with a guy that he knows is not going to turn out to be Hydra.
1: Yeah, he literally sits like, well you sure about this? Cause the people who shoot at you normally shoot at me. Mm. And I just want to be sure that you're absolutely okay with that first.
3: Yeah. Like that. It's inevitable that whatever Steve does, I'm going to agree with you. Like it, there's no question. I'm going to agree with you. I just want to make sure you're sure what you're doing.
1: <laughs> Cause um, he understands that uh, Steve is prone to lose sight of like, I, I understand you really want to do this, but think about the whole situation beforehand. Yeah. And, Like he is the person who's sort of been trying to do that alongside Natasha.
3: And as good, I think it's it's great to have um, Falcon. be the character who connects steve to the modern world so you have the winter soldier who's his connection to the past mm. but the you know falcon's kind of represents steve kind of acclimatizing to the modern world and which is why the dynamic between falcon and the winter soldier is so great because mm. you have that old friend new friend rivalry that's <laughs> really funny and 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 engaging those two are really great
0: together
1: yeah i also like the um Dynamic that you saw between Rodi and Falcon. Yeah, the fact that um, like they have a lot of parallels. They're both military men who have like have a very reckless best friend at the moment. <laughs> and also, like, they're
4: both pilots.
1: Yeah, mm, yeah. And it seems like their argument there was is ostensibly to make sure that the other two don't argue about this. There is a slight sort of "I'm older than you, son." That yeah. uh,
0: Rodi's pulling on uh, Sam as well. covered so much already I'm amazed Um, what's the best way to round this up do you think guys should we maybe update our um, top three Marvel movies for everyone let's do that that. yes Mm.
5: Uh,
0: you go first Josh since you are champing at the (laughs) bit to announce Um, so
3: this may may change if I uh, rewatch Civil War but at the moment for me Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy are kind of tied for first place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Mainly because Winter Soldier, I think, is... Winter Soldier is really close to being perfect. There's, like, no flab on that film whatsoever. It's just really economical, and I think one of the things that's so great about it is that it stands alone in a way that none of the other Marvel films really do. Mm -hmm. I don't think... Like you you kinda need to be in love with Marvel to love the Avengers. Yeah. Civil
0: War doesn't work if you haven't watched, you know, the films before it. I think you could Wh- show the average complete non-comic fan Iron Man and they'd get a kick out of it. It's fairly self-explanatory yeah. from the off. Uh,
3: yeah, I, I think But it's not I as mean strong a stronger is, wi- film by any means as <laughs> Yeah, so, that's as that's what I really yeah. mean, is that Winter Soldier is the strongest film yeah. that stands alone. Totally. And uh, I think the kind of emotional Punch of uh, Steve saying, um, I'm with you to the end of the line really gets me every time in a way that um, I, yeah, just it's more effective than any other emotional line I've uh, heard in these films. Guardians of the Galaxy, not as, um, you know, perfectly formed as Winter Soldier, but it has a heart and a soul that just really connects with me. And And and, yeah, and And also, just this is kind of purely subjective because of my own, you know, past and and personal life. Any kind of story that where the focus is kind of the near death or death of a parent is going to connect with me uh, personally, just due to my childhood um, and with my dad and stuff. So I've seen too many hospitals. So. yeah, that whenever I see scenes like that, they get to me. Civil War is right after those two. Mm. Um, I think it's my favorite Avengers movie in commas. Um, it, it, it just because I I like that it goes to darker territories while also maintaining the fun of the Avengers movie. I really don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I don't love the Avengers movie anymore. I really love the first Avengers. But it is, as Bob often, you know, movie Bob often says, the the first Avengers is a celebration of its own existence, Mm. whereas Civil War doesn't feel the need to be that. It is just confident in its own skin and is having the opportunity to explore more interesting themes because of it.
0: This morning, before my second viewing, it went Avengers, Winter Soldier, Civil War, but it was like a hair's breadth in between them. Um, The Avengers basically makes me feel fantastic to watch uh, because it is everything I've ever wanted in a comic book movie in a superhero movie and a movie all in one go. Uh, And it was the opening to the, uh, the MCU properly. And now that I'm thoroughly engaged, it's still the one I go back to and just adore watching. However, when I watched Civil War this time, it not only outstrip Winter Soldier, because that, I'm with you to the end of the line, is an incredible line. And there is so much going on between Steve and Bucky in Winter Soldier. But in Civil War, there's so much going on between Steve and Bucky and Steve and Tony and everybody else. There's heartbreaking moments amongst everyone. And I was so thoroughly engaged. And the second time round, I was even more engaged because it was just... I I was just amazed that they've been able to pull off this without it becoming genuinely bitter because it it would have been so easy to turn it into just this this horrible um grudge match in the end and in the end, it, it's it is an evolution of the superhero film in the same way as the Avengers was an evolution of the superhero film. So it's taking it to that next step and it's taking everything that, it, that they learned with Winter Soldier and just improving on it and expanding on it. And the, we're about, Winter Soldier as a standalone film has this incredible pace to it and they work perfectly as a duo in the same way that Kill Bill and Kill Bill Volume 2, which are both masterpieces, work perfectly together as a duo. Um, and if you're going to watch a trilogy of anything, it should be Avengers, Winter Soldier, and this. And maybe, if you want to make it like, the Lord, this is their Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit is Iron Man. The sort of the proof of concept. The sort of, like, the light adventure into, to introduce you to the world. Um, so now it goes Civil War, a tiny hair, Avengers, Winter Soldier. But it's so... Just, it's like... That I, I literally can't decide between them in terms of, like, I think this is probably the best technically as well um, although in terms of just streamlined story I mean, this requires you to be invested and that's the other thing, as as Chipman said nothing has been made before where you were this invested in this many characters outside of TV and even on, on TV, it's you, know, you don't get this scale this scope and this concentration maybe something like if Battlestar Galactica had had an incredible final series as opposed to one that disappointed almost everyone. But as with Age of Ultron, I really like the end of uh, Battlestar Galactica. That, it's, it's that level of just like, you know, I've seen this unfold for years. Now I really want to see how this goes. Like maybe if somehow they can pull off a really great ending to Game of Thrones without basically murdering everybody. <laughs> it's a big if.
4: Too late.
0: Yeah. But yeah, that's for me why Civil War is now unexpectedly for me, at the top. It wasn't yesterday, it is now. Jerome?
1: Yeah, Um. for me, like, I'll, I'll put the caveat. All oh, and
0: one addendum, list. Guardians is just behind in fourth, but again, hair's breadth.
1: Go, Jerome. Uh, all of my lists are constantly subject to change. Um, If I watch one of them tomorrow, it might go up to the top, but as of right now... Civil War is my favorite. Yay! It Civil War, buddy, capitalizes on my investment, and it surprised me still. And I just, I got my Spider Man and my Black Panther in there, along with the smorgasbord of mm. different character relationships, the shades of grey, the conflicts between everybody, and just all of that coming together, along with like I love the choreography in this mm, like, yeah it's fantastic i i just want to put like all the action sequences and just flip through them all day just to yeah see everything that's happening in them i
3: i i have to say just to bounce off that point the russos are by far the best action directors oh, yeah. of yeah. all the marvel directors we've had so far yeah but also the best dramatic directors as well they're both in one it's it's so cool that we've got you know a group of directors now who whose
0: strengths are both the you know the important yeah. elements of these movies i was thinking back to um like the 80s action movies when you got people like jean claude van damme and uh, dolph lundgren and sylvester stallone and they, they had giant rippling pectoral muscles and um Occasionally, uh, you know, uh, heartfelt acting, especially on Stallone's part in the Rocky films. Uh, But just it doesn't hold a candle to today's actors who can fight like nobody's business and act like nobody's business. It's just they've
1: brought their A-game across the board. Mm. So, yeah, Civil War is my Mm -hmm. number one right now. Um, I'm going to cheat and just put Winter Soldier and Guard the Galaxy together at number (laughs) two. I did it as well, so (laughs) don't worry. Because like i they're so like separated in my mind cuz guardian galaxy made me care about characters that i knew nothing about yeah. and wasn't expecting much of and just like if you make me laugh that much i can't help but love you yeah. so yeah um and winter soldier once again capitalized on my investment in uh the universe um i was getting into the uh, agent of shield at the moment and sort how that crossed over into that as well mm-hmm. the fact that you got more it was the people without superpowers showcase and how like how they handle a situation and like you get to see how effective captain america is when he has a complicated antagonist and he manages to find the root course and focus on that instead of focusing on the fact that shield has been compromised it's more about getting rid of the threat that is happening and once again like Excellent choreography.
0: Yeah.
1: It's, as we said before, it is like having another Bourne film. Not counting the new... <laughs> Not counting
0: Jason well. Bourne. I've got a feeling it's going to be better than Jason Bourne.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, at my third point, because I cheated, ah, is The Avengers, because... Of reasons t- and, that, and everything that The Avengers is. Yes. Yeah. Plus, it had Hulk in and yeah, a sucker for Hulk, so... Yeah, uh, as well as Black Widow, you might want to have a World War Hulk movie. Just an idea. Yes, um, I I will continue to send you letters until you do it. So <laughs> you might as well do it, <laughs> just just to stop the letters.
4: If <laughs> you're no prize, they will make the film. Um, for me, I was saying the other day that I needed to see Civil War again. Mm-hmm. Um, to to cement the positions. Finally, I suspect I I'm not going to need to see it again um, because now that we have talked about it extensively, I think it has just nudged uh, Winter Soldier off the top spot. Man, for me, uh, so triple it would be, Civil War buddies. Yeah, um, it would be a Civil War Winter Soldier Avengers for me.
0: Okay, folks. So if you are a Civil War buddy like us, the code for Twitter is CWB. <laughs> So yeah, so it was that like Winter Soldier, and then was it Avengers the third?
1: Yes. Yes, popular choice, popular choice. Mm, indeed. I'll just say again, I actually cheated. So. Yeah. <laughs> I will do it every single
0: time. Mm. Um, is there anything we're forgetting about the movie? Um,
4: um, there was one other thing that I was going to talk about. I'm not sure how much of interest it's going to be because we've probably touched on a few of the points in the the interim Um, but the uh, the way Tony responds to finding out about his parents oh
5: god yes
4: and the way that leads into the the final battle one of the things that at that point basically I have been team cat the whole since the advertising campaign started I was like Steve all the way Mm -hmm. yes I am on that side by the time they got to this fight, I felt massively pulled in both directions, and I was actually leaning more towards Tony. And one of the ways that I think they put his position across so well, um, because as you say in the in the comic book, it's actually very easy to read him as a, a complete villain. His, his motives are uh, personal, but they are not clean. Yeah. Um, but the fact that in the final stages of this, it breaks down to such an elemental, raw response. One of the things that struck me about his... Uh, they they have that moment where it lingers on his face and he's just... Um, I don't even know how to describe it. His His mouth has gone slack, his eyes have gone dead, and he says you killed my mum it's it's not even you killed my parents it's you killed my mum he is raw id at that point he is the child who has had their their mother taken away from them for the first time that fury that there is nothing else in the world apart from the anger at having the thing that was your nurturance and your support and your survival taken away from you um, and and that, for me, is the best acting I've seen from R.D.J. in this entire series.
0: Mm. And on that bombshell, anything else? Stan Lee cameo as Tony Stank, delivery guy. Awesome. <laughs> there you go with that. And Thank you for that. Also, uh, props to Marissa Tomei
1: as age-appropriate aunt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love that. I love the line of just don't tell Art May because then she'll freak out and then I'll freak out because she's freaking out, and it'll just be this whole thing. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, then ja, will... why can't you go? I have homework. I already I'm, love. I'm going to pretend you never said
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> I already love the dynamic between Tony and uh, Peter. And there's, there's word of a cameo for uh, Stark in um, uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming. So looking, because Peter is to that. like
1: Stark is one of his heroes.
0: So. Yeah. It feels like the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe has never been in better hands right now. It's it's getting better and better. So yeah. it's a good direction to be going in rather than constantly looking back and going, remember when it was just the first Avengers movie? And that was great. It's been downhill <laughs> since then. I prefer yeah. the, uh, the getting better all the time. Okay, folks. Anything else from anyone
1: else? A uh, small little thing. I like the callback to uh, Captain America, first Avenger, where... Stark is knocked down. um, Steve Steve. and like he gets back up and just does that same thing. I can go all day with the same. I could do this all motion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The that's up
0: there with uh, I'm with it till the end of the line. Uh, The other line is um, he was my friend, so was I. Yeah. Just wow. It's a triumph. Well done, Marvel. Well done. Folks, go and watch on YouTube. A uh, extremely gifted editor has uh, managed to work into the original Civil War trailer, Hello by Adele, which is the song we're going to end on heartbreaking to watch the juxtaposition of uh, of this playing out um this is why i was so anxious the whole time i remember saying you know that, you know someone asked me on on twitter what, what does this trailer leave you feeling and i said uh, incredibly excited and apprehensive and they said apprehensive why i don't understand that question <laughs> how can you not be watching that trailer and going oh god what is going to happen but it's I watched this again today with the Adele song and it still has massive impact because of what could have happened because of what emotions are at play and how honest this film feels no one's posturing it's all you know that they're in it effectively for for their own reasons but most of them are just trying to prevent conflict it's a wonderful film it's going to be the best of the year for me, uh, maybe. Well, technically, since it's just outstripped Avengers, that makes it my favourite film of all time, because until yesterday, Avengers was my favourite film of all time, which had replaced uh, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, a few years back. And, um, okay, it's gonna, this is going to take some beating, folks. The following is an honest trailer for New Century Book 4, Arlington. Written, edited, and produced by me. You should check this out on YouTube, by the way. It's pretty funny. You loved the Lovecraftian adventure of Secret Rooms. You loved the anthropomorphized cats of Tiger's Eye. You pushed through the world-building glossary with a narrative that was the cartographer's handbook. Now, get ready for an alternate reality post-Civil War sci-fi action Washington-based political thriller. That doesn't seem to go anywhere for about 11 chapters. When Vice President Rutherford B. Hayes is devoured by a manticore in a public speech in Ohio, a struggling Grant administration must turn to the National Intelligence Agency To help them find a new man to do what was described by John Adams
3: as... The most insignificant office that ever the invention of man contrived, or his imagination conceived.
0: Otherwise, the next commander in chief might be a heartless, corrupt racist. Hmm, topical. Featuring meetings.
2: Sir, Tremaine is here to speak with you.
4: The president will see you now, director.
0: Mr. Raven, it's nice to finally meet
4: you. Senator, thank you for meeting with me over this rather... Delicate situation.
0: Mr. Miller. Bishop Miller. Bishop Miller, what can I do for you this morning? Apologies. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Major. I'm so sorry. I'm very sorry. I'm
4: so sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. Sorry, sir. My apologies, sir. I'm sorry, Director. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. We
0: apologize. I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, I forgot who I was talking to. Apology accepted. And speeches. Brothers and sisters of Ohio, welcome to the world of incredible new science. We have been granted the privilege by the American people to
1: serve them in their hours of need. People don't just want to survive. That ain't the American dream and never was. We didn't leave the clutches of England just to survive out here. We came out to thrive. Do not not accept accept this mindset mindset in your fellow man. Do not allow the American people to be voiced by the most ignorant, the most blinded, the most aggressive. They need to know history so that they can understand where they came from. Ah, to understand and empathize as well as to express themselves where words are not enough. Out there you've got millions of people wandering around with all this sh** bubbling under the surface that can't be channeled only through practical means.
0: Experience the customary first half of moving pieces around on the game board in a way that has you yearning for the carefully developed characters of the last book. Before throwing you into a breakneck freefall of a second half that you'll be yearning for at the beginning of the next book. Starring Thomas Arlington, an angry, paranoid, super smart former slave turned director of the CIA, basically Nick Fury in Cowboy Times. Sarah Arlington, his wife and deputy director, a smart, confident, elegant black woman. Their daughter, Truth, the White House communications director. Their other daughter, Harriet, a shy mechanical genius who spends her time making steampunk wet dream serenities on wheels. Ugh, kind of makes our 1883 look like crap. Also starring, the real-life duo of Annie Oakley and her far less famous sharpshooting husband Frank Butler, real-life inspiration for Thomas, Frederick Douglass, underappreciated genius Nikola Tesla, and greedy pompous asshole Thomas Edison, because that's the way you guys like it this love letter to Michelle Yeoh, and a bunch of other colorful characters that the artist hasn't drawn yet. And not starring, sadism, boobs, sexual assault, relentlessly grim atmosphere, and various other trappings that seem to define entertainment for mature audiences today. However, this America is also overrun with Wendigos, a zombie werewolf vampire hybrid that will haunt your nightmares. Seriously, those things better not turn up in this one or I'm going to lose my shit. We think someone left a door open. Wait, what was that? Oh, don't, don't worry, worry, there. oh all...
5: <laughs> ah.
0: Arlington. A new century serial in audio or written format. Hey, I hear the next one is set in Victorian Britain. Now we can finally get some cups of tea.
2: Carl is going to fetch us a couple of tall glasses of sweet tea? I am. You are? Damn
0: it! that's not tea! Uh, very quickly, gentlemen, uh, where can people find you? Joshua first.
3: Uh, you can find me over at uh where we have a podcast where we take a game or a series of games and dissect them and analyse them in detail. Um, you can also find uh, lots of articles and videos up on the website
1: Andrew, you can find me over at the Gameverse Burst podcast uh, we do a twice weekly show Sundays is the news and Thursdays normally a round table discussion on either a new game that came out, an older one or maybe just the subject we've decided to speak about <laughs> and Sharon, your other podcast
4: uh, my other podcast can be found at uh, geekplanetonline.com. Go to that website and look for The Eclectic Podcast. And that is me co-presenting with a very funny gentleman by the name of Matt Dillard.
0: Okay. So rather than the uh, any of the wonderful Henry Jackman score, which you've been hearing throughout, uh, we are finishing with a song otherwise entirely unconnected with this movie, save for a bit of masterful editing, Hello by Adele.